Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Bytor. This is my co-host, Snowdog. This is the very first episode of the Galactic, of the Galactic Federation, the Solar Federation of Planets. Um, first ever episode. Welcome to the year 2020, um, the year 2112. And um, yeah, I'm running out of references here. <laughs> Got to use some of that free will. Got to use some of that free will for your mission um, to move them pictures. Presto. You're probably very confused right now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is the special episode I was teasing on the last episode of the Standing Brothers Show. This is going to be a 100% musical episode. Um, and we have a methodology and we have science behind this. So you could say this is in a podcast about musical science. Another reference. <laughs> a really good scientist. That's eh? right, O'Malley. I was inventor. <laughs> so yeah, we um, have um, taken it upon ourselves. That this is a little treat um, for those of you who <clears throat> who wanted to hear me rant about um, the COVID regime or Russia or the Trumps or the Bidens or the Kamalas. Um, I'm sadly you're gonna be sadly um. You'll have, to wait. You'll have to wait till Monday or Friday. Wait till Monday's episode. So this is going to go out to the Patreons first. So if you're listening to this any time before probably Wednesday or Thursday, thank you for supporting us. This is a little treat that we have um, that's going to be given out to everybody else. But, you know, this idea of what this show is about, and if you and if you read the title, you're probably like, Jacob, you're just beating around the bush before you actually talk about it, um, was what? I think it was later last week. Or earlier last week, mm -hmm. I sent you a, a a list of the top Rush songs of all time, top and 50. Um, well, the top fifty, I should say. And um, you know, there were um, there were some uh, let's just say discrepancies that we noticed in this list. Well, a lot of questionable choices, I think. Um, uh, one particular album was was very overrepresented, I think, out of all the albums. Now. Not to say that this album's a bad album. It's certainly it's not their best, but I think there's what. Four songs out of the entire list came from that one album, and even a lot of Rush fans are not big on this album. So I thought, I think it's a little overrepresented. And then there were songs that were in the top ten that I thought were not worthy of a top ten slot. Yeah. And there was a song in the, like, I think it was in the fifteenth spot. <clears throat> like this is an easy top five spot, but we're gonna get into it. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. So for those of you who don't know the band Rush, um, it is the greatest band of all time. Um, I would say the most talented, most versatile um, band of all time. This is not up for dispute. Again, this is 100% backed by science. Dr. Fauci read through our lists and oh, approved oh, them. Oh, oh, that's a quarter. <laughs> Anytime we – okay, I'm, I'm making a rule okay, now. Fine. Hey, we fine, can't mention fine. – Okay, fine. Leading, um, leading doctor in an infectious disease um, person um, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. read, read this – and um, he he uh, cleared it, so but you know it passed all the passed all the. All you the, almost said the president's name. It, <laughs> That's another quarter. It, it passed um, um, all of the um, heads of um, places where, where where folks work, and it has been peer reviewed by by um, top top people top people. Um, and, <laughs> top people in a particular field of science. Yes, and so there's your 100. percent um, I'm gonna go ahead and just give say that. I'm gonna go ahead and just say that my list is a combination 
of personal preference and what I feel is objectively um, their their best work. So there might be something um, on this list that I may not listen to all the time. If I like just get in the car and just put on a song or I'm doing school. But um, I tried to bring – I tried to meld the two together because a purely my top 50 would – um, exclude a lot of the stuff that that belongs in the top fifty list, just because I just they're just not my favorite songs. But I but um, but you can I can objectively know, say it is a good song. But I can objectively say that it is vastly right. important to their career and it is objectively a good song, even though it's not my personal favorite. Uh, my list, I picked the okay, the first twenty five are songs that I think are their best songs, and then and then in order, the last twenty five are songs I just happen to like. They're not really in any particular order. They're just songs that I really like. Um, I guess the first half of the last 25 are, so- are kind of in order, but then the last half of the last 25, <laughs> if that makes any sense, are songs that I just like that may not, that probably would never make a greatest Rush playlist. They're just songs that I think are great, and they yeah. come from albums that are probably overlooked. Um, but that's how I picked mine. Yeah, so... Um... We have no idea what, what 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 each of us picked. Okay, so the top ten we could probably predict probably. for each of us. But um, I have no idea what Joe picked, and um, I have no idea what you picked. And I think though there's going to be like some moments where it's like justify yourself, stand yeah. on the witness stand and justify your pick. <laughs> um, but no, I think this is going to be good. What and it's going to what it's going to be like is in the first episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation when Q puts humanity on trial and he's interrogating Picard to justify humanity's existence. Yeah, so that's what it's going to be. You have to justify your existence as a human as, right. as a human being based upon this list. Again, purely opinion. So if you're like Jacob, where was this? Where's this rare gem off of their 1975 record that I love to death and it didn't make your top 50? I'm sorry. Again, this is my opinion. Um, As I said, this is a combination of what I think is their best work and my personal favorites. Um, And if you don't know what the heck we're talking about, maybe this might be the inspiration to go out and adventure yourself um, past whatever, um, you know. Look, I'm going to just go ahead and, and speak and boomer um, tone language here um, that whenever we speak about Rush, we are speaking about the pinnacle of um, rock music, progressive rock. And well, look, I would say the pinnacle of um, progressive rock, um, rock from the early seventies, new wave elements of pop in there as well with some of their eighties work that we're going to talk about. But um, whenever I talk about how like this is, in my opinion, the greatest X, Y, and Z, I'm not being hyperbolic. YYZ. I'm not being hyperbolic whenever I say that this is like the, the greatest. Um, I do hold Rush in the same mantle as like the Beatles and Zeppelin and everybody else. They are within the same conversation. So, but where do they line up in the prog rock? pantheon of bands right so you've got rush you've got genesis you've got yes you've got jethro tull you've got the alan parsons project um well that's a whole conversation very different we don't have that much time to get into we don't have five hours. i don't think we have time this, to get this is into not a yet. joe rogan podcast um but i think that rush is the most accessible out of any of the early um 70s to 80s prog rock bands De- definitely feel they're more um, accessible than a band like dream theater yeah, but I think I think that Dream Theater takes. I think that if you love Rush, then you can graduate to Dream Theater. 
um and then especially band like yes yes is not an yeah, easy band no. to just like go on to close to the edge and then just like hey or, hey listen to close to the edge or you and... could listen to topographical oceans i think it's how it's pronounced and every song on that album is like 20 minutes long yeah so this is yeah <clears throat> so you know i'm gonna i will go out and say that if you want to listen to rush and you're like hey i want to listen to what these what these two morons on the internet like um my recommendations will always be maybe the moving pictures record permanent waves permanent waves and signals those are my three yeah. go-to records and if you like what you're listening to there then you can go on to like a farewell to kings or you can go on to hemispheres i i would say i would say the hemispheres 2112 and like caress of steel are like your f- the records you need to listen to towards the later part mm-hmm. yeah. um because if i just tell someone to go and listen to like i don't know like the necromancer or um la villa Stranago, la, la villa Stenago, you're gonna hate <laughs> or, or, yourself or cygnus uh cygnus x uh, yeah cygnus book x one. book one or book two you're <laughs> you're not gonna have a fun time especially if like what you've listened to is like top 40 or cardi um, b you're not gonna understand what's going you're, on you're you're gonna be completely lost but let's go ahead and let's just get into the list all right who goes first um let's let's flip a coin let's just okay. go on to flip a coin here let's just let's just go into the to, into the browser here let's go flip uh coin all right jay you ready okay i want heads actually i don't know if it's gonna work in brave or not here we go here's a flip a coin app okay I or want, a web page i want heads you call call, call it in the air heads it's heads, heads. heads. okay i right, do it first number 50 on the list joe or second number okay we're going in just in just descending order descending number 50 order. okay so keep in mind again too um the last half of the list are songs I just like. Can we just go from one to fifty? No, because it's, it it's, more... it's not fun to go from fifty from one to fifty. You start with the best, then you're like, okay. eh, number fifty, we have um totem from. <laughs> and we're gonna finish with totem from Tai Shay. Tai Shay from the 1987 record. Hold your fire. Deep cut. <laughs> no. Okay, so also keep in mind the the last half of this list are songs that I just like. They're not really in any particular order. Does that make minor, sense? Minor minor in descending order, um, or sorry, ascending order from ones that I like the least to ones I like the most. Okay, that's kind of true, but I okay, I'll just, I'll just be honest. All the songs in this list I like. Well, same here. I like all the songs on this list. Okay. There's sort of some that I like right, more. So number right, fifty. Number go. fifty. Jacob's Ladder. Okay, it's a, it's a pretty good one. I, Jacob's I like Ladder. Jacob's Ladder. From, that's what Permanent Waves. Nineteen eighty. Permanent Waves. Permanent Waves. I. It's it's a quintessential prog rock song. It's what it is, and it's from one of their best albums, from Permanent Waves. Now, I had a hard time because um, I didn't want to put whole albums on this list, and I told I you this. I did, and I ended up putting like two whole albums on this list because how can <clears throat> you make a top fifty list without Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures? It's impossible. It can't be done. So I will say that. All right, what about you? So, um, full disclosure, full 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 disclosure, disclosure. Yes, disclosure. Is that even a word? Yes. Um, Jacob's Ladder actually did not make my list. Um, that okay, okay. <laughs> look, okay. explain yourself. Look, okay. you're on trial now. Jacob's Ladder is a fantastic song, but it is not my top fifty favorite Rush songs. Really, there are songs I like more than Jacob's Ladder, but it's a good song. Don't get me wrong. When they play Jacob's Ladder but, live at well, R40, hang on a second. how can you not have per- the whole Permanent Waves album on your top fifty? Okay, list? so here was my other criteria. I wanted to include at least one song from each album. I wanted to find something from each era that I that I would love. Okay, I did the same I thing. Like. I did the same thing too. Okay, so so so, so, so number fifty for me is a little poppy hit. Um, in the mood. 
off of, That's off, a good of, one. off of the first rush record. Okay, well, so, hang on a second. In though. the mood. Hang on. Okay. But, but John Retzi was a drummer in the yes, first album. Yes, okay, but here's the thing about In the Mood. In the Mood, I think, is the is the most unique Rush song in that it has very sappy, poppy love lyrics, which after the right. first record disappear completely. Yeah. So if, well, because that, that's when they were in their like their Led Zeppelin their phase. Their Led Zeppelin f- phase, yes. The first Rush record was like this weird, blues-rocky Led Zeppelin phase, and In the Mood has like... In the Mood's like the sappy love song, but it has this really... Hey, baby! It's a quarter to eight. Yeah. I feel I'm in the mood. But it's but it's good. And I think it's something that like you can just put it's a nice summer song you just put on the car and drive without having to like escape your 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 mental capacity away somewhere else. Okay, so a lot of these songs you have to put headphones on and really just sit and soak in the music. I also too have a song from their first album, and I think it's the better of the songs <clears throat> album. Alright, number so, forty nine, go. Earthshine. From okay, yeah, Urshan's um, a good song from Vapor um, Trails. Vapor Trails. I feel that that is probably one of the. That's a very heavy album. Musically, it's a very heavy album. Yeah, and it's it, also, it was mixed very poorly. It was initially. mixed very poorly, and even on the remastered mix, it's still a very heavy album. That's what makes it hard for me to listen to that album. Uh, didn't One Little Victory come off that album? Too? Yeah, One Little Victory. That's was That's a like heavy the, song too. Um, that record is tough for me to listen to because it's mixed horribly. It's, yeah. I think it's the worst mixed even, record. Even the remixed version too is still. Yeah. I, the CD. I have all the CDs, and I have the original one. I put it on one day, and I'm like, ugh. It's it, it's, it is it is it's mu- so very muddy. muddy and yeah. muddled. So, but but musically and the lyric content is very. It's a very it's a very rushed song. Okay, so. So I have number forty nine off of the nineteen ninety six record "Test for Echo." Driven. That's a good one. Driven is a driven's a good song. Um, Do I have a "Test off, for Echo" song? So "Test for Echo," in my opinion, is the worst. Okay. It's, it's my least favorite Rush record. More than Presto. Yeah, I, I actually would like listening to Presto more than more than "Test for Echo." I think "Test for Echo" was in that weird period where they had no. They didn't. What really, year did that come out? Nineteen ninety six. Was that in the period when Neo lost his family? That was the record right before. Okay. So they were on the Test for Echo tour whenever Neil lost his family, and it's the last record they made until Vapor Trails came out in 2002. Right, because Vapor Trails, that's a heavy, heavy album. Yeah. So I, I just think that, like, I, Driven's a good song. It has a really cool guitar lead, and it has that weird, like, syncopated um, bass and drum line throughout the, the bump, 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 yeah. bump, 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 bump. Um, I, I like that. But... I like. That. I think the record is just is just very very weak, and it, this is pretty common. Most Rush fans consider that one to be the most weak of the the records. Um, I, think, I just I think you could tell that they needed a break yeah, as a band. They were. I think that they were um, creatively stagnant at that point, and then they needed something to. And then through unfortunate circumstance, they took about six years off. Yeah, but, but I think that they only improved as a result. Oh yeah. Um, I think that the last three records they made from Test for Echo were way better. Because what came out after they took one little victory? Or no, sorry, the Vapor, va- Trails. Vapor Trails, right. Snakes, Snakes and Arrows, and then Clockwork Angels came yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Forty-eight. Go. Uh, Half the world from um, Test for Echo. Test for Echo. It's a good yeah. one. I like it because it the I just I I, I love when uh, Alex uses big chunky like uh, bar chords and just really open toned chords, uh, and that song portrays those perfectly. And it has a uh, a nice little message to it as well. Yeah, it's a good, it's a pretty good one. No. All right, um, for me, it's off of the 1975 record, Crest of Steel, the Necromancer. 
Um, so this Oof. is a this is a song that um, I had never really sat down and listened to Crest of Steel until I would say about October of last year. I sat down and just kind of listened to Crest of Steel because Crest of Steel, for those of you who don't know, was the record that almost killed Rush back in 19, 1975. It was their third LP, almost destroyed the band. Um, record um, it was label. a failure. Record label wanted to drop them. It, it just never commercially, so nobody understood it. No one got it. I think that there's a story of when they played it for Gene Simmons because Rush was actually on tour with Kiss back in 1975. And um, they sat down and played it for Gene Simmons and every and Paul Stanley, and they just, they just didn't get it. They're just like, I don't understand what you guys are trying to do here. But I will say... Um, that Caress of Steel is incredibly important yeah. because of songs like The Necromancer, which even though I think The Necromancer is placed way too high, and if you were to like put a, a, all 100 whatever songs they've made, it probably falls into the, the bottom 100. But I put it so high because there's so many elements of of, of um, A Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres and all these other really prog- progressive elements they had in there. And I... Uh, the after there's like and it's one of those besides by tour and, and the snow dog off of 1975's um fly by night um they really didn't have these multiple part songs like these suites or, or, or like these like symphonic sonnets um that they had throughout um uh, the, the the earlier part of their career up to that point um but i i, I especially love whenever they have the really just heavy, heavy '70s prog, and the whole thing dies out, and it's just Alex with a with the most crystal clean guitar tone ever. Oh, it's so it just, beautiful! It just soars, and then um, he he builds off of this repeating riff when they have like they have a narrator who's describing this the um, story up to that point, and then it builds into this guitar solo, and I think this. This is the song that may turn a lot of people off because Getty sings at like at like dog um, hearing capabilities, especially in Crest of Steel. He he his vocal range was was ridiculously high, and some people don't like that. And I can, I, I can and I can understand it's not very I, yeah, common. I get that, but it's never been off putting to me. No, but I can get where people might have a problem with that. Yeah, but I love the Necromancer. I think it is a very very a, yeah. overlooked song. It's a good song. Um, especially the, that last four minutes of, I think the song's 10 minutes long. The last four minutes are just Beautiful. so, so good. Yeah. All right. 46, Joe. Uh, 47. <sighs> Wait, sorry. Yeah. 47. Sorry. Uh, leave that thing alone from counter. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good, um, instrumental. instrumental yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like 90, that one. Ni- yeah. 1983 counterparts. That was, um, yeah, I love Leave That Thing Alone, especially on the uh, um, like Time Machine tour. Yeah. Getty's bass solo, or Getty's bass tone, uh, is just mm, beautiful. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, I also, um, not only do I have the album versions of song, but I have um, uh, the best live version that I can think of. Well, I'm going to give, like, well, for once I get down to the, the better songs, I'm going to give a recommendation on, like, what version of the song to listen to. Well, I but I have uh, 2011, the camera, uh, the uh, Time Machine Tour. Yeah, that's the if best wanna, version. Yeah, just put in Leave That Thing Alone 2011 Time Machine Tour, and I'll, get, I'll take you right to it. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's a good one. Um, all right, for me, off of the 2007 album Snakes and Arrows, Far Cry. Really? Far Cry. I, I like Far Cry. Oh, now, 
Okay, you're gonna have to justify yourself. I okay, I like Far Cry, but I think it is a little overrated when it comes to the other songs on there. Yes, I'm not. Look, no, no hate. It's a great, it's a great song. I think they played it live and everyone saw them in 2015. But for me, I just there's there's songs I like more. Like if a song is like in the 40s, I don't hate it. I still love it. But there's other songs I, I just I just love more. That I. I made this list based upon if I'm in the car and I'm driving, what am I going to play? Well, I would put Far Cry. So, Wait a minute. Do I even have that on the list here? You, 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 better, you better be explaining yourself. Okay, man, I think I forgot to add it. Well, crap. thumbs down to that. Okay, anyway, keep going. All right. Um, but yeah, Far Cry is good. It's a heavy song. I think it's the best song off of Snakes and Arrows. And I think, yeah, in my opinion, it's the best song if it's like Snakes and Arrows. Which Snakes and Arrows for me, I um, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's not my, it's not my favorite record of that late part of Russia's career. Uh, I think Clockwork Angels is their best one of that late, or of 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 the uh, like noughties. I think it's the best one they've made out of that decade. But um, no, the Far Cry is good. Okay, I forgot to add it. Well, oh, you well. gotta shoot it in somewhere, I guess. Oh well. Okay. Uh forty six. Yep. Prime Mover from Hold Your Fire. Yeah, Prime Mover's good. I think that's one of the better songs off that album. I wouldn't say it's the best, but I would say it's better than Tai Shay. Yeah, Tai Shay's not a good song. Um Hold Your Fire is a very unbalanced record where there's like a lot of good, really, really good songs and a lot of just crap. Um, but here's the thing: a Rush crap song is still like a pretty good song. It's still better than most. What's it's still today. better than most songs. Um, for me, number forty-six, we're on. That's that is the number forty-six off the two thousand two record. Fate betrayals. One little victory. I don't even have that one on my list. One little victory. I... That heavy, heavy drum intro always gets me, and I especially love whenever it builds and builds and builds, and then just kind of lets the guitars breathe. And um, I something about that tone that Alex uses, like that real like flangered tone, where it sounds like a, where it sounds like a, like jet engine. Yeah, it's flying by yeah. you. It's kind of cool. Um, For yeah. me, one uh, vapor trails the the way that Neil's drums sound. I'm just not a huge fan of, and that's kind of reason why I kind of write that album off a little bit. It's because Neil changed different. He used okay. I, when it comes to this band, I'm a nerd. Okay. Uh, when he changed the different drum heads to a coated drum head, to me, it just doesn't sound as good as um, the other sets he used to use in the past. Use, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so to me, just there's there's better drum sounds out there. Anyway, number forty-five, Witch Hunt from uh, Moving Pictures. Oh, okay. You know, I think it's actually it's a weird song. Witch Hunt is a good song, but I think it's the weakest on Moving Pictures. But to say the weakest on Moving Pictures. Um, that's, that's still, that's still pretty, pretty it's still better pretty, than pretty, any pretty, pretty song good. out today. Um, yeah, but I think that, I think it's actually a pretty good placement. Yeah. Um, Witch Hunt's good, weird song. I think it's an odd way to, uh, to round the album out. No, sorry, Vital Signs is the last song. Which Vital Signs is great. Yeah, Vital Signs song. is a great way to end it out. Um, anything to talk about that one? Um, it, it, again, too, with Rush songs, after the first album, they got, ri- got away from all the sappy stuff. They started diving into some really like uh, heavy topics, and witch hunt sounds. It's about just what it sounds with what it sounds like. It's yeah. about the witch hunts, um, and they the way they deal with it 
is I don't think they really come to a conclusion. They kind of leave you up to decide, which is the greatest way for a band to ever deal with a, with a topic like that. Because there's another song coming up, which I'm sure is on your list as well, that deals with the the, uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and yes. Nagasaki, where they don't have an opinion. They just state what they happened. They just state what happened. That's all they, they do. They leave you up to decide. <laughs> all right, number 45 for me for the 1974 self-titled record, Finding My Way, the one that started it all, the very first yeah. Rush song I have, ever. I don't have that one on here. Finding My Way is so good, and again, it's kind of one of those sappier songs. Um, no Neil Peart on this one. This was a John Rutsey was on drums for this, for the, for, for the one and only record. Um, but Finding My Way is great. Uh, I my favorite part of the song is easily the intro. Whenever um, Alex plays like that really really fast riff and that pans from your left ear yeah. to your right ear. That's cool. Um, if you listen, if you're, if you're gonna listen to this, to especially this song, you need a good pair of studio headphones. Don't listen to this in the car. Don't listen to this with one ear button. Studio headphones. Per- you won't get the preferably effect. hardwired into your device. Um, and sorry, the entire. The entire mix pans from your left to your right, and then Getty comes in with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but finding my ways, it's a good just. It's a product of its time. Um, it was in that again. It was in that weird bluesy Led Zeppelin phase. And if you if you know Led Zeppelin of the of like that 1974 um, period, then you're gonna like. If you listen to to um, Led Zeppelin four, it sounds a lot like Led Zeppelin four or even like Led Zeppelin two. Um, but it's, it's still good. Still a good song. And it's the one that started it all. The, yeah. w- the very first one ever. Go ahead. All right, number 44. Okay, I'm going to butcher how this is pronounced because it's in French. Uh, Entonneau, I think it's how it's pronounced in French, mm-hmm. uh, which means between us. Uh, this is from the... Uh, That's a Permanent Waves. Permanent Waves album. I, I always get these mixed up. 1980. 1980. Um, it's, a, it's a good little pop song is kind of what it is. It's... There's not a whole lot going on there that's that interesting, um, but the lyrical content is good, and it's a good just little... It's the kind of song you would put on for a first-time Rush listener to kind of get them into what's, what the band's about, um, and I just I just, I just, just like it, so, yeah. All right, for me, from the 1975 record Caress of Steel, Bastille Day. Hmm. I think Bastille Day is the highlight of... The um, Caress of Steel record, although it's not my number, it's not my highest ranked one. I have one more that's ranked higher than Bastille Day, um, but Bastille Day, of course, talks about. I think it's the French Revolution. Yeah, because they talk they about the Bastille, which is the French prison, and um, pretty dark and gruesome. Um, if you wanna, my favorite rendition of this one. This is a heavy, like just fast in your face kind of rush song. Um, I like the um, All the World's a Stage. Live album, live double LP of 1976. I would say I think actually they start that they start the the concert off with that one, and I believe that record was recorded whenever they were opening for Kiss. So you can listen to the some of the earliest recordings of Rush is on the 1976 All the World's a Stage live double LP, which is where I would say if you want to listen to the song because I think I think it's heavier. I think the the studio version is a little weak compared to yeah. the live version. The live version is much heavier. So well, Rush I would has always that. been a, a more of a live band than anything. Yeah, so. uh, but 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 that's what I'd recommend. Uh, Forty three Bastille Day. <clears throat> oh, we the same. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, anything you want to add besides what nope. I said about Copy it? Copy and paste. Copy and paste. Okay. Um, next one for me. Um, what's the number forty two? Yeah. Uh, Lakeside Park. Mm, Okay. Lakeside Park. I think I had that one in a, in a different spot. But... Yeah, Lakeside Park. I really like. 
it's it is one of those just honest I, I like it for the lyrics more than the music like the music's good but I think that this is one of those shining examples of just Neil's brilliance and yeah. person. So his his personal touch on the rec on the, the the lyrics that he writes talks about a place where he would go um, as a child and he has very fond childhood memories of this um, place by 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 the lake. You could call it the you know the lakeside park. <laughs> um, but it's just a good it's a good nice little song just about him expressing a childhood memory and i think that's really sweet uh 42 for me is anthem oh yeah dude anthem's awesome yep I don't... mine's higher but but yeah but but anthem's on my list anthem's too. good it's it's a it's a good song from that weird um i wouldn't say weird but that kind of just different growth stage in their career where they're experimenting more with uh keyboards and synthesizers anthem, are you talking about anthem anthem's from um um the fly by night is it? Yes, Anthem was on the Fly By Night record, 1975. Okay, I, okay, I'm thinking a different song. Now. I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna get these confused at some point. Yeah, Anthem. It's a good. It's a good little tune. Not much more than that, but it's, it's a good tune. Um, what number number 42 for me? Yeah. Um, what you doing? What are you doing? What, what you're doing? That's what it says. It's weird, but what you're doing off of the 1974 self-titled record? Um, this I think is the. I, I I would say this is the most approachable Rush song probably um, ever up to I think I think Moving Pictures or even Permanent Waves I think anyone can kind of listen to this and kind of jive with it because that riff as simple as it is is really really good and you can just hear the Jimmy Page yeah. just flying Absolutely. through <laughs> yes. um, that riff but th- th- that doesn't make it a bad record at all that makes it really good and I think it's one of the highlights on that first album. I like it. It's a good one. Uh, 41, what you're doing. <laughs> well, there you go. See? Anything you want to add to what you're doing? Copy and paste. Copy and paste. All right, number 41 for me is, I'm going to butcher this name, but Mad Ridgel. Okay, off yeah, of I know the 1977 about. album, A Farewell to Kings. That's a good one. I... This is this is one of those songs that you're like, if, if this was a list based on like the top hundred whatever songs is like in the bottom but you never I find it love this song and i think it's one of the most i think it's one of the most overlooked gems on the farewell to king's record that keyboard tone is just like mwah. that is just the Chef's most kiss. it's like this like it's like a little whistling like keyboard tone and it's really really high pitched but it's just a very soft calm break from the rest of that album which is just so crazy progressive and chaotic and it's just a nice song to kind of kind of like bring the mood down take a breather before you get into Cygnus book 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 one um the voyage which is actually on my list later on but this is a great little song Alex's work is just so crystal clean the keyboards are so good um it's just it has just that very 70s synth that that the early 70s synth tone I'm all over it, and I, I, it's brilliant. I love it. Okay, uh, number <clears throat> 40, Mission. Mission, number 40. I love Mission. I like it. It's uh, it's a good little tune, especially the guitar outro at the end. Um, it's, again, like I was saying earlier, it's kind of in that different stage where they're experiment- experimenting more with keyboards and stuff like that. Um, it's, just, it's a completely... You listen to that album, listen to that song... 
and then you go back and listen to like a Farewell to Kings, it's like two different bands. Um, but it's a good little tune. Yeah, Mission's great, and mine's later on the list, but uh, I will give my thoughts about Mission when I get there. Uh, number 40? Yeah. Off the 1982 record, Signals, Losing It. You think it's that? You think it's that low? Losing It is number 40 for me. Um, I, I, you know, this is personally one of, my, one of my more favorite songs. So, Losing It, I... I think it's I think it's someone that again very overlooked. I, before I did this, I kind of just looked up some of like the the top top rush song playlists, and usually none of them have losing it, or if they have losing it, it's down the bottom, which I think is criminal. Um, but losing it is really really good. That intro synth line is oh my! I I look I will get into like all the Power Windows songs are like top twenty because I think Power Windows is the most overlooked record in their entire career and yes i will go to the grave saying that but even though power is my favorite record of their synth period the best keyboard tone was on losing it losing its keyboard texture and tone is brilliant and then you have of course ben minx who plays the violin the electric violin on it it just adds this whole like hypnotic dimension to it where this where the the violin is panned and it has that really strong reverb to it and i think neil has like is it a glockenspiel or he's playing some kind of bells over yeah. top of getty's um synth parts but it's just it's very light it's not super heavy well it's a the lyrical content yeah, is lyric, pretty heavy yeah, well, lyrical, what i'm saying it's not a very heavy like rock song yes but it has very dramatic dark sounding synths and dark sounding um like like the um the um, tone on the guitar and the tone of the keyboards and bass are very dark again if you uh, my favorite version of that song is off off the r42 tour when they brought ben minkson to play with them live yeah i think it's the only time there's been a fourth person on stage with rush in their entire career, I think they on the Clockwork Angels tour they had the little well besides the, the little besides like, the string section yeah the strong yeah the, the small string that. section that played but yeah I think he's the only guest person to yes. play with Rush. All right, continue on. Uh, thirty nine. I have Middletown. Ooh, Middletown's a good one. I yes, th- I think that's one of my more favorites off of Power Windows. Yeah, Middletown's good. I like that one because, again, uh, it deals with uh, something, another favorite song of mine that deals with ostracization and dealing with rejection, uh, which you find a lot in Rush's music, especially later in their, especially in the 80s. Um, when we get to Signals, you see a particular song in that uh, from that album deals with that as well. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, and it's just the way, the way that Neil writes lyrics and the way he deals with things is so honest and it's so down to earth that anyone can understand it, even though it's in a, a a prog rock band. So that's why I like it. Yeah, Middletown's Middletown's great. Um, I think it's overlooked criminally on that yeah. Power Windows, but especially that Power Windows record. When you, if you exclude like a motion detector, and you, not say look past, but you appreciate like a song like Mystic Rhythms for 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 what it is, that is a very strong album like yeah. it's extremely strong record so a song like middletown falls falls in between the other ones so i have a lot of i have more power windows coming up later um number 40 we're on 39 39 i, I got presto see presto number 39 i this to me is one of my more favorite songs 
So for you to put it at 39 is kind of a slap in the so face. So Presto for me is um, – the reason why I placed it so low, um, not that I'm blaming the record. I think Presto is 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 one of their weaker albums. It is. Because um, the 90s were a very weird time. I, I think they were, they were searching so hard for the next step in the evolution of the band coming out of the 1980s. Whenever they they knew that they that they lost their way with hold the with with them like hold hold your fire, and Presto was the one that came after right after um, hold your fire, and it just it's searching for me it's always searching for the next step. But they're like, okay, we can't use keyboards, and there, there's very very little little keyboard use in the Presto record, but. For me, it's like I think the record would have sounded better with with keyboard because it just sounds like a very thin, not very heavy, just very thin sounding album. Um, but not to say that Presto's bad. Presto's a great song, and I if I had to recommend a version of it, go and listen to the um, Time Machine, the uh, Time Machine version. They play Presto. I think it's the third song on the um, yes on the record. Um, but that's what I would say. Listen to to that one. Yeah. Um... Let's see. Uh, thirty-seven. I think. No, so. no, no. 30, Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. I'm sorry. The Analog Kid. Yes. From Signals. Yes. I love this song because again, it's in that period where they're dealing with where they're experimenting with more keyboards. And I, this is this is the major disagreement that you and I have. You say that uh, Power Windows is the best of the keyboard era or the I, best, I best the synth the, era. I will go the grave. I will say that it is Signals because I just think that the songs off of Signals are more approachable. I think they're a little bit better than Power Windows. But then again, this is a this is based on opinion. Um, but I think Signals is probably their most powerful album as far as doing with, with the lyrical content. And then, the, But then again, Analog Kid is just a fun song. Um, it deals with um, this is also the period when they were when Neil was writing about a lot of science fiction, and you will see that later in their song and later in the catalog as well. But it's a kind of a science fictiony song, so uh, I think I think that's what I've, it's been a while since I've listened to this one. So yeah, the Analog Kid's great. It's got that very addictive <laughs> intro, um, beginning to it, and the chorus with the, when the keyboard just yeah. come thundering in. And it has like a halftime feel in the drums. It's great. Um, all right, number thirty-eight for me. Mm-hmm. Time stands still off the nineteen eighty-seven record. Hold your fire. That, that that is one of my more favorite songs, and I have it. I have. Yeah, okay, I have a little bit higher than that. But. Time stands still would have gotten higher, but man, that music video. Oof. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, that I, music video is a little. Ooh. If I could ask getty in if i if i could set them all down and ask him five questions that'd be one of them it's like it's like guys time stand still what were you guys doing okay so if you want to watch the song don't watch the music video watch them play it live yeah (laughs) Uh, i would say it sounds good on the show of hands tour and and also in the 2011 yeah time Time machine's good but i think the i think you you really can't go wrong listening to any of the 80s stuff um, I think anything from Signals to Hold Your Fire, you can't go wrong on the Show of Hands tour. I think it's a, it's a very good um, live album. But yeah, um, Time Stand Still is good. Very, very poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably the most poppy song they probably ever did. There's very little elements of, of progressive rock anywhere in there, which is – which at the end I, I may discuss – once I get down to my top five, top ten, I may give my opinion on 
the controversy with some of those 80 songs, but um, I Time Still Still is great. It's a good song. All right, 37, Mystic Rhythms from Power, Power Windows. Windows. This song is it's different. It's the most unique song. It's very unique. It's very out of the norm of what you would think a Rush song would I be. I think it's the most unique song I've ever done. Yeah. Um, it's it's different. Um, I don't know how else to describe it other than that. You, Neil has this over this crazy African drum beat throughout, yeah. which is just the backbone, and it's the is the only thing that you can. It's the most identifiable identifying part of the song, which is this bum 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 bum, and he has this, mm-hmm. this crazy reverb that's on the when, accents. That's when he was experimenting really heavily with electronic electronic drums because that's when he had the two sets. Yes. Um, that's a very just heavy, heavy drum rhythm, and he's whatever he was experimenting experimenting with with African um, drum rhythms and the weird polyrhythms, and that kind of sets the tone for the song. And then you have Alex has that really almost hybrid acoustic electric guitar that he's playing yeah. there. Yeah, see that's see that's one of the reasons. Okay, we'll we'll get into that later. And Getty's bass tone is great on that song, but it's just this very polarizing song for someone who's initially starting out and a longtime Rush fan I get the song gets a lot of hate from people and I understand where they where they're coming from but I think it if you look at the song objectively as if like any other artist were to write that you'd be like there's something cool unique going on here that really you're not gonna hear any other, any other, any other sound songs like it and I think that's I think it's kind of cool and the fact that it's actually it, Putting your prejudices aside towards the 80s period, it's a good song. And I think that for them to make something that's so foreign sounding still sound good is kind of amazing. Well, they were willing to take risks. Exactly. And they were not always they were not always rewarded, but every now and then they had a little gem. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were 37? I would agree. Um, off of the 1993 <clears throat> record counterpart, Animate. That's yeah okay. Animate is a good song. That drum intro. You don't know how many times when Neil's counting it off. Whenever Neil counts that off, and on my steering wheel, like the dum 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 bum bum bum. Because because Neil, uh, I the way he the, his ride patterns that he uses are just so brilliant. And um, that's a when he goes off the ride onto the bell, on the, yes. off the bow of the ride onto the bell. But you know how it's many a times very rock and roll. Kind I of. have just hit the restart button and then just listen to the one, two, yeah, and then and then that's whenever um, Alex has like that very reverb heavy. Sorry, not reverb heavy, but the very. Um, soaring guitar line was that in his prs yes that was in a weird prs phase and then getty was playing with his jazz bass more and it had the very just heavy just raw thumping gritty bass tone um which 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 really remained unchanged for 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 the rest of of bands bands history i think that's where getty's little that's where his jazz bass tone came from which is it's it's a it's a good song it's a good heavy song and i think it's a return to form for them after the weirdness of roll the bones and um presto yeah roll the bones another one of those albums that kind of goes by the wayside too um all right 36 armor and sword off of the 2008 gem that is uh snakes and arrows okay 
I like that song. Um, it's a, it's kind of a it's more in line of a Rush song, but it's also the new like the the last the last phase of the bands because that was their second to last album. Um, uh, I just I like the Neil's different patterns in the first verse of that song. What he's doing is 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 intricate, but yet it's not over. It's not he's not overplaying. Uh, again, the lyrical content is pretty pretty heavy in that one as well. Yeah. So it's a good little gem. You want, you want to talk about lyrically heavy content? Um, number thirty six. That I'm on. Yes. Um, Red Sector A. Oh, good grief. <laughs> Red Sector A off of the 1984 record Grace <laughs> Under Pressure. Are we the last ones left alive? <laughs> um, Red Sector A is a very synth-heavy song, which I think Grace Under Pressure is my least favorite of the synth period records. But again, not to diminish, not to dismi- not to diminish its importance at all. It is a great record that, you know, is, is better than some people's best records. But this record is heavy. Um, that bass tone is just that do 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 Like, it's almost like a very, it almost sounds like a drum machine or like a Moog, but it's it's not. It's, it's Getty's really playing that. And <clears throat> it's... It keeps the song like driving and almost like in a like a hypnotic state. And then I always, I, this was the start of of Alex's um, guitar tone from the '80s that I just I just can't get enough of. That very just modulated, weird, like thin. Th- well, it was thin, but like it was soaring, and it it was. It was almost out of necessity because he had to find a way to complement the keyboards without being smothered by them or without smothering them Mm -hmm. because the keyboards were a very important part of that time in Rush's history. But out of that necessity, I think he was using more Fender um, guitars at that time. He was using some Charvels, Mm -hmm. um, something like that. He he, he wasn't using the um, Gibson products at that time. Because he, he, he played with it, an e, uh, ES-337? No, uh, ES-3, ES-345 or something like that. He okay. what he played on the early stuff, and then he played, you know, like Les Pauls, and he played some... some PRSs. Some P, no, no, he didn't play PRSs until the 90s. Right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. But he played um, Fender Stratocasters on some of, the, some of the Moving Pictures records. But just a very... Thin, but not like thin as in a bad way, but thin as like a good as in a good eighties way, um, where it almost sounds like like a keyboard, but it's not. And he plays those really high chords with a little bit of tremolo at the end, the woo, mm-hmm. the very end, and it, it, it's a great song, and it's very heavy because it talks about the Holocaust and concentration camps well, and, and kind of the experience of Getty's parents yes. when they had to escape. Um, I think they were in Auschwitz, is where they were. Um, is, is where they were actually at, um, but a very heavy song, and, a, and uh, but I think they they capture the heaviness of the lyrics with the music and this kind of just like the bass line almost sounds like a march, like it's like it's, it's, it's a steady. It's very simple. It's not a very com. It's a very simple song, but that that just all the way through the song, just kind of enforces like that, like that. Nazi march, you know, like like that like that machine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's like yeah. a machine, and they really pound that through to you. Um, very very moving song, but it's a good one. 
One Thir- one of the highlights on that. Thirty five. Yeah. I have the Twilight Zone from uh, twenty one twelve. That's a good one. I the one of the reasons why I like it because I was <clears throat> listening to someone who was kind of breaking down the song, and they had they were they had got their hands on the tracks of the song the original tracks, and in the background very low in the mix is someone like using a very breathy whispering. voice whispering uh, behind uh, Getty's lyrics, and. <clears throat> I just happen to love that show, The Twilight Zone, the original series. Um, and to me, it's 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 a testament in the Neil's admiration for that show, is because uh, this is also the period when Neil was also reading a lot of science fiction, and he was uh, the later accredited. I think it was twenty one twelve to Ayn Rand to Ayn Rand and uh, the Fountainhead and Anthem. I think is what he was crediting to her to because. I mean, so, so we, we will we will get into the song that he was crediting later on. Right. Yes. But uh, yes, he did credit Ayn Rand, and he got he got a lot of flack for that. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but then again, um, I, I just I, I just happen to like that song. There's some <coughs> there's a uh, Alex's solo is is funky as all his solos are in that song. Well, especially um, that, that 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 album. The, the album has a lot of weird funky guitar solos. Yeah. And a lot so. of weird. It's a very strange lyrical and musical styling record especially especially side b of that and i'll talk about side b of 2112 later on um but number 35 for me mm-hmm. 20 off of the 2012 record clockwork angels seven cities of gold uh i love this song and i know what you're gonna say the uh the garden is not on this song on this list um i i had a hard time picking it was between this one and the garden and i really think that seven cities of gold was a very it sounds like if fly by night and 2112's you know heaviness was transported to the year 2012 it's a very heavy just you know led zeppelin bluesy song um that it was it was a nice nod to the, i think it's a, it's a very nice nod to the earlier stuff and it's a nice way to sort of wrap the career up, ending on a very heavy high note. Plus, in the intro, Alex is soaring guitar. Yeah, intros, just that, that just, know, just that leads. very just like like screechy crying tone, and then you have just the very heavy just drums and heavy bass. bass. Yeah. And it's it's very much to the work he did in the '80s, where it's a very similar style, where he had the very just high piercing guitar tones. And then they all get in to play the main riff, and it's just a heavy, heavy, head-banging riff, which really um, – Rush didn't do a lot of those really just head, head-banging head riffs, um, but this is definitely one of those ones they did, and it's a good one. So uh, 34 for me, and I'm just going to copy and paste what you said, but I have the Necromancer. Necromancer, Only yeah, because of the last four minutes of the song, really. Well, those, dude, those last four minutes are are the little hidden gems in, in Rush's catalog, uh, yeah. without a doubt. So good. Number 34 for me, off of the 1993, no, 19, 1991 record, Roll the Bones, or Roll the Bones. <laughs> See, I, I, I like that song a little bit more than I think you do. So, Roll the Bones for me, I never really listened to until we got ready for the, the show when they came in 2015. And the R40 tour. The yeah. R40 tour. Um, I think that is one of Getty's better I think it's a top top fifteen, top ten Getty bass line. I think that bass line is really, really good. And Alex's guitar solo is um criminally underrated on that song. And um I I, I 
even this might catch some flack. I love the little rap part in the middle. It is just yeah, a very, really it's, it's a nice break and it's something different. Like it's something unique and something different that they, they that that they tried something and did did it work? Probably not. But like I give them credit for trying something on a record that's very kind of eh a lot of the ways through it. See, I had to find a song from that album to pick, and that was the one that I picked. But yeah, nah, I've got in a different like spot. um I think I think that that's the best song on that on that record. Uh, but I, I think it's overlooked, and I think it's a good one. I think it's a uh, if they were to write more, like it's a very funky, you know, like I wouldn't say it's not R and B. It's not what I'm trying to say. It's a very funky um, pattern, and with the bass and drums marriage and that, I think it's a very just unique. I think if they wrote more stuff like that in the '90s, it would have been a better um, period for them. But it, you know. It, Getty's bass sounds great, and Alex's tone is still in that kind of thin period, but it's not as. It's not like it was in the '80s where it was like it's like the very synthy sounding thinness. It's like it just it sounds like he's having enough, enough gain, but I mean it works. Like for that song, it works. But I just like his tone, you know, of five years earlier. Yeah, pre- pre- preferably. Uh, where are we at? Thirty-three. Yeah, working them angels from uh the two thousand eight album Snakes and Arrows. Two thousand seven album. Sorry, two thousand seven. Whatever. Um, I love this song. Uh, as you notice, I have two songs from this album. Um, to me, I love this song live, and I have the two thousand and eleven Time Machine tour. It's a great live song. It's it's heavy. Um, it deals with uh <coughs> just you know what what work is about and. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good song, and the um, I love the way that the first verse kicks in after the intro. It's a very just just good hard rock song. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's a good one. And that and, one, and I like Getty's vocal style on it too. It's, it's it's good. That one didn't make my list, but it's it is a good song. Yeah. It's a good song. I will admit. All right, um, number thirty three for me. Mm-hmm. Um, off the nineteen seventy five record, Fly by Night, Bitor and the Snow Dog. I didn't have. I don't have that one. On yeah, Bytor and the Snow Dog is kind of, kind of, in, incredibly important for Russia's history because this is the first time they really experimented with these long, formatted sonnet, um, kind of rock, rock symphony songs. And what I mean by that is that it tells, like, like, like with the Necromancer and other songs coming up, it's like a ten. 10, 12 minute song, but it has multiple distinct parts throughout it. Kind of like what a sin, like what a um, orchestral sonnet is. A sonnet's like 15 minutes long and, 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 you know, like orchestral music and it has multiple like distinct parts in it. Bites from the snow dog was the first song they ever did that, 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 that like that it tried this out and it, and you know, it's very raw and it's very um, young and it's styling. And I think it's, you know, it's it's important because it's such a, you know, this is their second album and they're already writing stuff this incredibly complex, lyrically, and telling this this great story behind it. Um, you know, it's incredibly important, and not only that, it's just it's a good, it's just it's it's a showcase of how talented they were at that time. Even though in my opinion, it's not their best. I think I think people rank this one way too high in my opinion. But it's just it's just a good it's just it's a showcase of what they were doing and the, the the talents they had. 
Okay. Uh, what we say? 32? Yeah. Animate from okay. Counterparts. Um, I like this album not so well okay i like this song is because i could, i already said about counterparts in that kind of era is when neil changed a lot of the way he played drums he went and studied with freddie gruber who was a uh, popular i think he's jazz drummer but neil started wearing different shoes he started holding his sticks differently he went back to the orthodox grip um the way his approach to drums were different, even though getting Alex couldn't hear a difference the way he was playing, but there was a difference. There's a difference in like economy of motion. He's he changed the way he set up his drums in a more ergonomic style, which is the way he used which is the way he played the the drums throughout the rest of their career, um, up until the R forty tour when he had the two drum sets. When he was playing the older stuff and the newer stuff. Um but then again, I don't like the way they sound, but I like the way they look and the way it was set up and everything. Um, and it's it's a good it's a good rock song, and I think you you already put it up there, so I'll yeah. just copy and paste. Number thirty one for me. Thirty two. Number thirty two. Uh, Clockwork Angels off of the two thousand twelve album by the same name. Uh, I think this is the best song off the record in my opinion. Um, this is a culmination. I think Clockwork Angels is kind of a culmination of all of their different styles up to that point, giving subtle nods to each of the each of the eras they had. Um, this song I like just because of the, the hills and valleys the song takes. It goes in this really just heavy, heavy intro, and then it, and then it allows, allows the song to breathe with, um, Neil doing the, um, oh crap, what's this, that roll that, like, he, he, he breaks it. That's not a halftime film, but that's what it feels like. Like, the whole thing kind of, like, opens up. And Alex switches to this really pretty clean, like, Pink Floydy style tone. Um, and it just kind of soars and gives this illusion of, like, again, like, again, like an angel flying. And then it goes right back into the heavy, just that, the, just that, that incredibly hard, just Getty Lee jazz bass tone of that, of that record that, just a you know, solid, heavy, just 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 aggressive tone, um, and it's and it's a long song. It's like seven minutes, but um, it's it's a good one. I think it's the highlight of that record, and um, I think you really can't end a better career um, after you know forty something years, and then you're still able to make a really really good rock record. Well, I think you're wrong. I think Wish Them Well is better than that. But... I like Wish Them Well, <laughs> but I don't think it's a part of this list. Continue. Uh, 31, Test for Echo. This is the probably the only song off that album that I can really listen to. Um, much in the same way with some of their, I would say like the Flight by Night album, I have a hard time listening to. It's just, <clears throat> it's just not my favorite period of time for them. Um, but Test for Echo, I like the way that the way that Neil approaches the drums on this one. Again, is so different. It's there's almost a, um, it's almost like a swing pattern he's doing at the beginning of the song. And then again, too. It's a it's a heavy it's a heavy song, uh, but I I like it. So number thirty one for me. Witch Hunt off of the nineteen eighty one record, Moving Pictures, the first Moving Pictures. Stop Moving Pictures. Again, um, kind of retweet what you said. Weird song, but it definitely definitely deserves to be in a top fifty list, as you will see with the entire Moving Pictures record yes. on this list. Um, weird record. Retweet whatever you said. Okay, uh, 30, I have Bravado, and my preferred live uh, choice was from the R30 tour, 
because again, this is the one song that I think I think it's the first time that I've ever seen Alex Liveson play a um oh god, what are they called? Um it's a fender, um it's a they played a lot in country music, the type of guitar. A Fender? Uh, it's a Fender. A Telecaster. Telecaster, I'm sorry, Telecaster. I think it's the only time I've ever, ever seen him play that. Yeah. But again, too, it's it's not a very heavy song, but again, the lyrical content is, is pretty deep. And then the, the Neil's drum pattern towards the end of the song is, is quite complex, but it's not that hard. And this is the only song that I can actually play <laughs> on the drums um, from that album. And it's the way that he plays with both uh, the floor toms on his left and right, which you don't see a whole lot in drums because most people think they want to be cute and only have a small drum set, which is whatever. Um, but again, it's just a good song, good uh, uh, way he's using different patterns on the ride cymbal and going through the toms. It's just, it's a beautiful song. There's also a version of him playing this, the song in a studio that they did for a DVD that they made. You can also find that online, too, which I encourage you to watch because Neil used to rehearse before rehearsals. It's true. Which is the reason why they took that video of him. But anyway, that's number 30 for me. Number 30 for me off the 1987 record Hold Your Fire, Force 10. Force 10, everybody. I love Force 10. It's good. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense at times, but I love it. This is... I love that, like... Jackhammered intro when it's like, and then I always skip that song when it comes on. You don't like Force Ten? That Force Ten's good. You're missing out. I think it's one of the weak. I think it's probably the weakest song. Well, no, no. Okay, it's not the weakest song, but it's like the second weakest song. No, you're wrong. Force Ten is great. I'd recommend Show of Hands for this. It's a weird part of that '80s synth period, but it's good, and you're missing out. All right, number 29, I have Roll the Bones. Okay. Um, I don't want to say it's because I had to pick something from that album, but that album to me is just, there's just not much there. Um, Roll the Bones, I like it because it's different, because they experimented with that spoken word portion there towards the middle of the song, which is something that you don't necessarily hear um, in the rest of their catalog, really. Um, It's unique. It's unique, and it's it's kind of a... I don't want to say it's a sore thumb, because it's not. It's that one song that you can say, oh, this is weird, this is different. Um, and then uh, Alex's guitar solo in that one, I I, I, I think I like. I, I like that. I, I like that. I like that. It's 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 tasty, so... that's But that's all I have to say on that one. Um, number 29 for me? Yes. Anthem, Fly By Night, 1975. Okay. Kind of what you said... <coughs> um, that just infectious riff in the beginning of it. And um, it's the, this is the first out song you actually, you actually hear Neil play on um, first 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 studio song. And it just showcases his immediately when he comes in, his Im- immediate impact is felt. Um, Anthem's great. I don't think they've played. I know they, I know that they played this one on the, um, all the world's a stage tour, which is a good good version of that. But you can't go wrong with the studio versions; pretty good too. Okay, number twenty eight. I have different strings from Permanent Waves. This is a, a longer song. It's kind of see to me the the era we get into in the late seventies and into the eighties when they start doing longer songs, especially on Permanent Waves and uh, Moving Pictures. These are more of my favorite longer songs that they do. 
um, besides like some other like I like twenty one twelve or others, um, because it's there's a lot more going on. It's it's easier to listen to because you can listen to Cygnus Book One, The Voyage, right? That's a long song, but there I can see where it could be hard to listen to for some people, but with this one, uh, uh, Alex starts to play. Alex acoustic uh, parts in that are very are very. Uh, uh, I, I think it's some of his. What am I trying to say? Um, besides, I like it. Um, it's, I like this one. It's, it's different because he's playing on different strings. I don't know. Uh, I, I just happen to like that song because, um, like I said, it's for me, it's easier to listen to some of the newer, longer songs than the older ones. Like, By Tour and the Snow Dog... Yes, it's, not it's for everybody, though. Yes, it's good, but it's that's not that's not what I'm going to first um, uh, when I'm listening to... Uh, like if I'm going for, a, I want to listen to a long song. That's not what the first one I'm going to. That's fair. So twenty nine for me. Yeah. Off the nineteen eighty two record, Signals, New World Man. It's <clears throat> a new world man. Yeah, I, I like that one. It's a good one. I, I like I like New World Man, especially like that little. Uh, no, like that little uh, little like like that. No, it's that it's oh. that it's that little uh, monotone synth like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's a good one. I like that one. It's, it's good. Uh, twenty eight, eight. I think so. Wait, you have I... you have you have the numbers on there. Wait, did I jump ahead? You just did different strings. The last one you did. Wait a minute, did I? Okay, yeah, twenty seven, right? Yes. After image, okay. After image from Grace Under Pressure. Um, that's from Grace Under Pressure, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one is um, when Neil died. A lot of people uh, were quoting the song because um, I forget the exact words, but it was um, I forget exactly what the the, the lyric is. But everyone was posting the song uh, when he died because it it references what you leave behind when when you die. Um, and it's about I guess it's about I don't know if it's about leaving a legacy or it's about when someone dies. Uh, the pictures that you have of them after they're gone is basically what it's about, and it's probably a heavier, probably one of the heavier songs off that album, I would say, but it's it's a good one. Twenty-seven for me, off the nineteen eighty-one record, Moving Pictures, the Camera Eye. Mm. The Camera Eye. Um, that, see, when, I, when I'm talking about a longer rush song, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, the this is a eye. song that you can kind of get into and listen to. Um, it's weird. It's, but I think it's very approachable. If you were to give someone a longer song to listen to, I'd say this is probably one of the most, most approachable ones to listen to. But it's good, and yeah. uh, I think it's it's a nice break period because it kind of starts off very slow and kind of draws you in slowly, and then just gets right into it. Yep. Uh, Twenty six off the Presto album, The Pass. Um, this happens to be what. Recently, one of my more favorite Rush songs because of the lyrical content, also very heavy. It's dealing with the teen suicide epidemic that was happening in the 1990s. Um, and two, if you go and listen to this one in Rio, uh, which was the first live uh, recording that they did after the band came back after Neil's hiatus, um, they it's like they never missed a beat, the the three of them. And the, the, the crowd from Rio is much like the crowd from... Uh, the Time Machine tour in Cleveland, just going, going, going crazy the whole time. It's a good tune. Um, again, it's not a very heavy song. It's kind of that weird mix of heavy, but then some synth. So it's a good one. I like it. Anyway, 
28-6 for me. Yeah. Off of the 1978 record, Hemispheres. Cygnus book, Cygnus X1 Book 2 Hemispheres. Boys at a Mouthful, and yes, that is the name of the song. Yeah. Um, this is the second part in the Cygnus X1 uh Duo, because there's only two Cygnus songs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, they ended, um, they ended uh, "Farewell to Kings" with Cygnus Book One, and then they started "Hemispheres" with that song. Um, Cygnus Book Two, Cygnus X One Book Two, "Hemispheres" is a lot. It is, it is not for the faint of heart. This is probably one of the most difficult long rush songs to listen to, and not that it's bad, but it, it is. All over the place. It is progressive. This is the album that almost killed them. Is what they said. This is this album is heavy progressive, heavy time signature changes, key changes, just ridiculous showcasing of talent on this record. Um, this is this is the one that even to this day myself, I have to be in the mood to listen to the Cygnus Book Two. Um, cause it is just I like the intro, it, the Alex Lifeson chord of the intro. Yes. But it, you have to be like, this is not something you should get to like put on like with, with your friends. Like if you're, if you're in a car with friends and they're like, Hey, Hey, hand me the ox Hey, hey like, hand me, hand me like the ox chord. And you put on Cygnus book, um, Cygnus X1 book two. They're like, what? You'll never see a chord ripped from your phone fast. <laughs> you, you, you will never be defriended faster. You know, I've been at where I'm working now. I've been there about six months, so I'm slowly working into the music that I really like because it's been up to, when I, when they give me control of the radio, I'll I'll kind of placate everyone. I'll put on some yacht rock and Eagles and stuff, which I like listening to that. But then this week I put on uh, I think in the presence of enemies by uh, by Dream Theater. Dear Lord. And then uh, a while ago I played the Necromancer, and after that song was over, they're like, okay, all right, come on, give it up. And but I'm slowly trying to work in like more progressive songs because while I was while we were closing today, they had on um what's her name um Lizzo yeah and I was listening to Genesis on on my headphones, <laughs> um I don't know how m- more different you can be than having Lizzo in the background and then listening to Genesis. Now I'm not talking like Invisible Touch Genesis. I'm talking like Selling England for a Pound Genesis. Not that, talking the um the um on like Phil Collins, well Phil Collins is Genesis. No, I'm saying that like he was the whenever whenever he came in changed the sound. Of He's it. he was there the whole time. No, no, he wasn't. Yes, he was. That's not true. That's fake. You are fake news. Uh, no, check your receipts. <laughs> that didn't happen. All right, next one. What am I on? Uh, oh gosh, I don't even. Was it your turn? No, you you went. I said 26, the pass, right? Yes, it's my turn. 26 for me. Yes. 26 off of the 1985 record Power Windows Marathon. This song... Man, we are... (laughs) ...is so freaking good. That bass line is so amazing. Oh my gosh, I could just go on and on about that Marathon bass line. You you want to write a song called Marathon and write a better bass line? Challenge accepted. Plus, that, the song is fast, too. Yes, it's a very quick, fast, energetic song. And, you know, the entire verse is like this... It's very quick, just a snappy, like, little bass runs that Getty does. And then the chorus opens up with the big synth um, hits. It... it 
marathon is just it's so good and then and then and then and then, and then the key change comes yeah. in on the last chorus and it just whenever they hit that key change it sounds like a thousand angels go hi <laughs> you've made it as a band you, you've made it uh, it's marathon is so freaking good and then the ending where it goes the dan 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 yeah and it ends on this super high note it's kind of like running running the race of life is kind of the concept of it. I think my favorite version is, again, in Cleveland 2011. Yeah, the Cleveland one's good. The show of hands record's good, too. Yeah. Go on. Uh, <coughs> let's see. 25. 25, time stands still. And the live version I have is Cleveland for that one as well. 2011, the Time Machine Tour. Uh, t- time stands still. You've already mentioned this, too. Um, it's more of a poppy song. It's a pop song. Uh, it's a pop song. Kind of like the past. It's a little bit of a pop song if pop had a uh, a, uh, a sinister side to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, time stands still. Um, the drum intros at the beginning, the, the timbales that Neil is playing, uh, those were originally from, I want to say, a Genesis album. And uh, not even the great Phil Collins could play that in real time. They actually had to slow down the track for him to play it. But Neil learned it at, at uh, normal speed. So technically, as Neil says, he's play, he plays something that's impossible. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a good tune. All right, number 25 for me. 1981, 19, sorry, 1982 record, Signals, The Analog Kid. Mm. Kind of what you said. I'm not going to add too much more to it. I just, that... Um, that synthesizer part in the chorus is so good. And the very anthem style guitar riff from fly by night. So it's kind of a good meld of the two and it's a good kickoff to that, to that record with the, the, the first song. Yeah. 24 for you. 24. I have marathon. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good song. It's a good one. Marathon. It's a good it's song. It's really, really good. Uh, yeah. It's a good song. Okay. Uh, 24 for you. Off the 1984 record, Grace Under Pressure, Distant Early Warning. Mm. This, um, I love, um, Alex's guitar tone on this one, especially. This is that, I think this is whenever he kind of peaked. And this and then, and this and then on, um, the next album, Power Windows, peaked at that really just perfect synth 80s guitar tone, um, just there's a, just there's just those big chords, um, yeah, and then the the keyboard part's always good, um, but this is kind of where people were a little skeptical about the direction of the band heading forward. Is this is a very pop um, centric, forward thinking song. It's not very rock, even though you could say that Signals was still moving in that pop synth direction of the '80s. This is what kind of pushed them over the edge and there was no coming back yeah it's a song like this but it's still um, good 23 for me i have resist and i'm not picking the album version i'm picking the live version in rio um for the longest time rush had resisted i get it um <laughs> the urge to do a, a acoustic set because that's what everyone else was doing and they want to be different but with a song like resist it works so perfectly as an acoustic only song with just getty and alex uh, playing the song, and if you if you listen to that song for the first time, it doesn't bring a tear to your eye. I don't know what will. It is so beautiful. Uh, Alex's uh, lead lines on acoustic are just again brilliant. I think he is such an underrated guitarist, the uh, most probably the most underrated guitarist of all time. Not just what he does on electric, because what he does on electric is groundbreaking, but his acoustic playing as well, as far as his classical playing and his just straight ahead acoustic playing, is just it's. 
it doesn't get any better than, than Alex. But yeah, uh, resist. Our forty are from the uh, from Alive in Rio. All right, number twenty four for me. Yes. Off of the nineteen eighty five record, Power Windows, the big money goes oh, around the world. <laughs> yeah. The big money is. Oh, man. It's the pinnacle, I think, of that 1980s period as a song like the song like the big money. Um, it's that 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 intro with. Oh, man. And then and then Getty's bass work is so freaking good, even though Alex's guitar work, I think, is buried buried underneath the keyboard and synth. It's still. He found a perfect way to complement without being smothered too much and without smothering the keyboards, as I've said. And his arpeggio work in this, this, this record, and I will agree with Getty, is the pinnacle marriage of the traditional instruments and keyboards. It is the pinnacle example of, of how you incorporate synthesizers and how you incorporate stringed instruments into an album. And this is the shining example of that. It is, it is that good, and then the instrumental part of it is, again, Neil's drum work shines through so much, and the the bass lines on this song and the and the album. What more do you want? Like, like honestly, as a bass player, what more do you want than the big money? And us talks about, you know, it's got a good message, but you know, it's got a very thought provoking message behind it. With you know, the fact that you know, it's a big money corrupts and. Uh, big money is everywhere and you know how you know money and corruption and power you know you know so rule the world and how it's this dangerous thing yeah i don't disagree at all um let's see where we at uh number 22 no what? I, I just did 24 i think 24 so 23 oh, i already did 23 what was, what was 23 resist okay yeah 22 then uh seven cities of gold oh he's like yeah um i think that's probably the strongest song on that album um, I love the live version. It's it really it's, it's kicking, um, kicking. Uh, but yeah, re- copy and paste what you said. Okay, number twenty one. Nineteen eighty one's record, Moving Pictures, Vital Signs. Mm. This is the record, the song that closes out, um, the masterpiece that is Moving Pictures, and has you know has that little synth intro to it. Um, but it's a stark contrast to the rest of it because it's, it's kind of like this sinister sounding song where it, it's, it's, it's just tension filled and doesn't really resolve itself ever. Um, but I think it's a nice way to end it. And then especially the ending of that song where it has those big bomb, 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 da, 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 bomb, bomb, bomb. Mm-hmm. Just kind of just builds on yeah. that the rest of the way through, um, but yeah, I think it's a perfect way to end that record. Twenty one. Yep. Uh, Lakeside Park. Yes. Yes. I think that's my favorite song off of Caress of Steel. Uh, again, Neil talking about from the heart. Um, personally, his personal experiences when he used to do when he was a young kid, and I just I, I like that. I, I like that. I like it. I like that. You're twenty one. Um, off the um, 1976 record, twenty one twelve, the Twilight Zone. Oh. It's my first um, song from 2112, Twilight Zone, kind of what you said as well, but I like on just how weird and ethereal and alien kind of the song is, especially with uh, Alex's guitar tone. 
um, especially side two of that record had a very weird kind of guitar tone, um, but just a very kind of creepy sounding, you know, kind of creepy song to the to the rest of the record. But I like it. It's just a very unique, unique song. And I catch myself listening to it and singing along all the time. Yeah. Uh, number 20, I have Losing It from Signals. Um, I mean, I don't know what else it can be said other than what you said. Again, the, that violin solo at the end. Um, just rips your heart out. Does. So, number 20 for you? Number 20 off the 1975 record Fly By Night, the song by the same name, Fly By Night. Yeah, see, I don't have that on here. I freaking love Fly By Night. It is just, it is it is poppy, it is a little catchy. Um, it's kind of, it's actually the very first Rush song that I can quote myself ever listening to. Because it was that stupid Volkswagen commercial. Yes, the guy was over there doing that do 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 Come on, you cannot listen to Fly By Night and not do a little bam bam. Fly by night, away from here. Look, change my life again. And you don't listen to Fly By Night with God going Fly By Night away. <laughs> singing as high as you can and try to match Getty's yeah. like dog-like vocals in those in those, those first couple of albums. Yeah, especially on a on a song from uh, uh, from Permanent Waves that we'll get to in a second. Yeah. <laughs> Number 19. Number 19, I have the uh, Digital Man from Signals. I wrote something down here that I decided not going with that one. I like Digital Man better because I remembered the drum intro from Digital Man. Yes, that's a good one. <sighs> when Rick Beato did his video on the greatest drum intros, I'm like, where is Digital Man? Did he include it? No, oh. it wasn't on there. Like, This is the pinnacle of a drum intro. The Digital Man is such, it's again, it's a weird, funky song where it's a lot of po- polyrhythms going on, a lot, of, some probably an odd time going on there too, uh, but that drum intro cannot be denied for its greatness. That's why it's here. Have to agree. Number 19 for me off the 1978 record Hemispheres, The Trees. Oh. The Trees is a little tiny little hidden gem in that record, a um, little, classical, little classical guitar. It's kind of talking about like organized labor and the unions and the haves and have-nots. Demanded equal rights. Yeah, kind of talking about like the proletarian and the bourgeoisie a little bit, little elements of that in there. Um, But it's an the the trees is a perfect little break off of the the madness that is that record, and just the sheer just. It's a nice little poppy kind of song while still remaining heavy in its tone and its message, but. Hemispheres is a song that has four songs and is like 38 minutes long. Um, and then there's a, the trees. And then the, 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 the trees just kind of like slips in there. And it's, yeah. it's, it works. It's, it's, it's a nice break. Because once you've listened to the first two, it's a nice break before you head into the last song. Because <laughs> yes. the last song is the on last my song list. It's kind of a chore. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. What was number, number 18? I have the camera eye from moving pictures uh, like i said if i'm gonna listen to a long rush song i'm going to the camera eye or another one that's on this list coming up um just the 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 synth that uh that getty uses is just like dun, 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 and then the uh alex alex is um the the chords that he uses in the 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 riff that he plays in the uh kind of in the intro it's just so it's just so quintessential rush and then again, Neil's uh, drum fills are just just so per- everything about the song is perfect. Yeah. It's the perfect length of a song. It's almost eleven minutes, 
It's but doing, it doesn't feel like eleven. It doesn't minutes, feel though. like it. You know, it, there's like there's like two songs in there, and then um, what else was I gonna say? Yeah, it's about living in the cities. So, yeah. All right, number eighteen for me. Yes. Um, 1985's Power Windows song Manhattan Project. Dude, it's like it's like it's like we were looking over each other when we were, Manhattan we Project number list. 18. Manhattan Project. So I know I'm gonna get flack for this because some people hate this song. I don't. But I'll tell you right now, I am a sucker for synthesizers. People know that I love a good synthesizer. Like like. like like synth wave and retro wave, that kind of movement right now, all for it. Like that really '80s, like that new '80s kind of style of songs that that, pe- that, that people are writing right now. Well, it just shows you there's nothing new under the sun. But I love that '80s texture. Um, Marathon for me is just goes to show that you mean Manhattan Project. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, Manhattan Project just goes to show. Wait, what did I say originally? You were talking about Marathon. No, no, sorry. sorry. The Manhattan Project. Manhattan Project is the showcase of a band that can go from writing a song like The Necromancer 10 years earlier, can write a song like The Manhattan Project, which sound nothing alike, and it still be that freaking good of a song. Um, Even though some people don't like the 80s part of Russia's history, and I, I get it, because it's like, if you grew up listening to the progressive and you like the progressive elements of it, you're not going to like Power Windows. If you found Rush in the mid the mid '70s and then you, then you kind of forgot about it and, and then found them again in the '80s, what the heck happened to this? What the band? heck happened? But the fact that they can release those records and looks looking at them objectively, they're good albums and there's good songs on there. Just to show that they can like write pretty much whatever the crap they want and it be competent and re- and good and decent. Um, I that keyboard intro with the just giant chords and just drum fills. I I love I love anything that's just saturated in synths. And the fact that I can listen to Rush and also get like that that nice synth craze that I really really love to me is a win win. I agree. I'm trying to figure out which. Okay. Um. Let's see. Number 17, Manhattan Project. <laughs> I th- I think that's probably the – I don't know if it's the best song on that album, but it's, it's the one I like the most. It's the on one I album. like the most, too. So, uh, copy and paste. Number 16, uh, from the um, – Wait, it's my turn to go. Oh, sorry, 17. Number 17 for me, um, from the 1977 record, A Farewell to Kings, Cygnus X1, Book 1, The Voyage. Love the song. I do too, but I didn't make my list. Cygnus X1 Book 1 is the perfect way to wrap up that basically perfect record. Even though I didn't include all of Farewell to Kings, there was an argument to be made that Farewell to Kings shouldn't be included on this list. It's that good. Um, it, it it's a It's leading up to, I think, what was going on in Hemispheres, but I think it's more approachable than anything on Hemispheres. For for just like for 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 any zoomer that wants to check out um this 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 band especially this record, um that intro, that 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 bam bam bam, but no whatever sound that they're using like that that bell tolling yeah 
That is so cool. Yeah. I love that. And then, of course, Getty's bass tone is just yeah, that, it's so raw, and it's yeah, just distorted, powerful. and it's beautiful. That, like, Rick and Macker tone he's using over that one. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's a good song. Long song. But, again, doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Uh, number 16. Uh, from the Presto album. Presto! Um, <laughs> a bit on the nose there, Joe. A bit on the nose. Uh, there's only two songs from the Presto album that I can really listen to, and that is The Past and then Presto. Uh, if you want to check the receipts in the live version, I have also uh, Live in Cleveland 2011. Um, it's, a good, it's, it's, <coughs> it's, a, it's a good pop song for Rush, but I think it's the best pop song uh, that they've ever written as far as uh, their catalog goes. Um, it's just, it's a fun song. It's nothing more, nothing less. I agree. Number 17 for me or number 16? 16. Number 16 for me. The most underrated Rush song of all time, criminally overlooked, needs to be in every single person's top 50 favorite list of all time. I'm talking about the song from the 1987 record, Hold Your Fire, Mission. Okay? This is, <coughs> excuse me. This is the most underrated Rush song of all time. Fight me in the octagon right now. I don't care who you are. Most underrated Rush song of all time. It is lyrically powerful. It is musically powerful. And it has the most underrated Alex Lifeson guitar solo of all time. Criminally overlooked. Belongs in a top five Rush guitar solos of all time. You can fight me on that. I would recommend the um, live version from the um, the um, Show of Hands yeah. tour. Because on those studio for the studio record, for some reason, cuts the album, cuts guitar solo like ten seconds short and fades out when there's like way more, and Getty comes back in and finishes it. But man, it's just. I mean, Alex, it's so good. Like it, it's it's just such a great song. I, I love Alex's um, riff in the beginning of it and the weird like five four time signature they have in the center of it, um, or like in, in the instrumental part. But you know, it, it's it's a very simple song. It's not very complex, but it's just it's just good. It's just good. Go listen to it. Uh, number fifteen, Natural Science from um, is this Presto? No, no, it's Presto. Uh, is this Permanent Waves? Permanent Waves. Permanent Waves. Um, this song I haven't quite figured out what it's about entirely. But again, it's another one of those longer Rush songs. Um, and Permanent Waves was, was, I think, really when Rush really hit its stride yep. as far as, okay, we know what we're doing now. Um, they kind of they got, all, they got all, all that weirdness of really super long, complicated songs. And hemispheres. And hemispheres. And they said, okay, we're still going to do long songs, but we're going to make them a little bit easier to listen to. And um, We're going to refine them. We're going to tune it, just tweak it slightly and make it just better. And to me, uh, natural science um, is—I haven't quite figured what what, it, what it's all about. But there's a, a, a lyric in there um, the, where Getty says, "The most endangered species is the honest man." That's that's a—I mean, welcome to 2022. Buddy. Welcome to 2020. Welcome to the world. Um, and again, my favorite live version is Snake and Arrow's tour from 2008. But I love that song. I agree. Um, number fifteen for me. Yes. Working man. Working man. 1974 album Rush, uh, Working Man, the 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 first big song. Still, still played when they still they ended every single tour with that, every single show with that song. 
um, just a showcase of how I love on especially the uh, um, time machine time tool. machine tool when whenever they did the, the like like little reggae intro yeah, that was cool. Um, but yeah, it's the biggest song they've ever. They've, well, it's the first major hit they had, and it was huge. And the fact that it, it's not even written by um, Neil and Neil never performed on it in the studio, it's still so popular. It's kind of a testament to. I think that the staying power is my. Favorite favorite because they do they do the little reggae version but then when um when they finally kick it in and then getty like screams um the those words it's just like yes it makes you want to charge the hill kind of kind of song charge the hill um uh, see number 14 yep i have from um this is what uh hemispheres the trees the trees is from hemispheres 1978 i think this is one of their better songs more approachable than the rest of that album. Not to say the rest of the album's bad, but if you want a good little, again, when I talk about Alex's acoustic playing, his classical playing on this song is just, mm, it's beautiful. Love the song. It's good. So, yeah. Copy and paste what else, what else Jacob said. Number 14 for me. Yeah. Um, off of the 1980 record, Permanent Waves, Free Will. <sighs> 14? Free Will, number 14. Okay. All right, all right. We're, because, we're look, putting you on trial here. Look, it's getting pretty packed up here, okay? You don't understand. Um, 14 Free Will, really very approachable song for people to listen to. Um, I don't know how you follow up the beginning song much better than Free Will. Um, kind of that simple little. It's a fast song. It's a fast song, but that that bomb, ba dum bum. It has like that. That has that like that head bopping kind of. Yeah, it's good. You know when I when that when that song comes on in the car and I play it at full volume, I sound just like Getty. Do you really? Especially towards the end of the song. I bet, bet you do. <laughs> Move along, there, sucker, Bob. Uh, number thirteen, a passage to Bangkok. This one deals with a foreign matter. I love this song. <laughs> deals with foreign matter. It, it deals with the foreign matter. Um, this is the only song that you I think you'll ever hear Rush talk about anything that deals with hallucinogenics or or drugs at all because they weren't that kind of they weren't those kinds of people they weren't that kind of band they were, they were like like a druggy band no it which was which was not weird but kind of nice because uh when they were on tour with kiss <laughs> gene Simmons would constantly try to get them involved in all kinds of just bad stuff like you would think rock and roll bands would do and they would go to their hotel rooms, and then Neil would be in the corner reading a book and, and getting Alex to be watching TV. He's like, who are these guys? Yeah. They're from the middle of nowhere, Canada. I mean, come yeah. on. Neil worked at a, a at a tractor parts store before he joined the band. They were weird people, and that's why I love them. But I love that song. <laughs> Number 13 for me? Yes. Off of the 1978 record, Hemispheres, La Villa Strandriago. The the most difficult I I would say, um one of the most difficult instrumentals to play in rock history, um you could definitely put that one with one on this list like coming up in a few songs and with like, Dance of Eternity by Dream Theater, um you know it, it is just. Balls to the wall, progressive, weird 1970s rock. Um, I think I think it's the pinnacle of their that instrumental. Phase. I think it's I think it's their best instrumental they ever did. Even though I have one more instrumental that's higher, I think it's just more important in their catalog. I think I think Lombilla Stradago is 
if you want to listen to drumming perfection, um, you can't get much better. Yeah. Uh, number 12, Vital Signs from um, um, Moving Pictures. And again, the live version of this song is, again, uh, 20, uh, 2011 uh, from the Time Machine Tour. I love this song because, the to me, it's the it's kind of that, it's the good mix of the synthesizer with the real instruments. It just works so well. And the, um, the lyrical content, again, is also very, very good. I'd agree. Uh, number 12 for me. Yes. Um, off of the 1976 record, 2112, A Passage to Bangkok. Mm-hmm, okay. We're pretty I close. I love A Passage to Bangkok. Um, I love the live version. Yeah, well, yeah, I was about to say. The live version on the on the 40th anniversary of 2112 is the one. I, I would actually say that's it's better than the studio version. I would have to agree. Um, I love the song. It has a very tension building verse and then the chorus just kind of breathes into this nice poppiness um the thing about 2112 and i'll talk about this later is it truly it really is a tale of two 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 sides of the of the record um and this just happens to be the best one on the other side it's so good that bass work is so good and that riff gosh that guitar riff is just it's so good because it's it's very oriental sounding, but like it's not overtly like you can cheesy. tell that it's yeah it's not cheesy, but you can you can tell that's a very foreign sounding riff that yeah. he writes there. All right, so we're getting we're getting close to the top ten. Um, I had to put this song somewhere near the top ten, but I didn't want to put it in the top ten because. Um, everyone assumes that this is the the song. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, but I had to put it at number eleven because I, while it is a good song, it is not worthy of a top ten. Much to the chagrin of all the people who like to write for all these rock and roll magazines, that think this is their greatest song ever. Um, ask any Rush fan, and they will tell you that Tom Sawyer. Yes, it is a good song, but it's not a top ten song. So, so Tom Sawyer is number eleven for Tom you. Tom Sawyer is number eleven okay. for me. Um, it's a good song. It's funky. It's weird. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. But is it their best song? Is it a top five? Is it a top ten? No, it is not. But it is their most popular song. Would would, would that agree? Yeah, it's the most. It's a very quintessential Rush song. I think that Tom Sawyer took all of the elements of what Rush was doing up to that point and put it into a very radio friendly package. And maybe that's why people like it so much because it's very radio friendly. Like, you know, it has the weird um, time signatures. It's got Neil's drum, um, you know, fills in the beginning and the end of it. It's got the, you know, great guitar solo. It's got, you know, it's got, it's got, it's got, it's got a little bit of everything that, that Rush was doing up to that point. Maybe besides the length. But, you know, I understand why, why folks put it in the number one spot. I disagree heavily. But, you know, I get it. Yeah. I get why you put it there. But I think that if you really dig deep in the catalog, you realize that there are better There's songs. There's some other good gems. Better songs on that record. Yes. Than Tom Sawyer. Not just in general, but better songs on that movie, on that Moving Pictures record. <laughs> as, as you will see as we go further along. <laughs> All right, number 11 for me. Yes. Off of Moving Pictures, 1981. YYZ. YYZ, man. What can you say? Legendary. Legendary instrumental. 
the one that everyone points to. It's like, oh, hey, buddy, can you play? Can you play YYZ? No one air drums at this song. Yeah, um, everybody, everybody air drums. Everybody does like a, does like the like the like air bass. Yeah. Um, well, because it was it was originally written as a drums and bass instrumental, but then uh, Alex heard it. He's like, I, I got an I, I got an, an idea or two. Yep. And then that's when he he delves into the especially towards the middle of the song. Those kind of like foreign sounding lines on the guitar. Yep. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's good. It's a good song. Number number ten, Joe. Top ten. Here we go. All right. Top ten. Number ten. La Villa Stranigo. I can never say it right. La Villa Stranigo. Yeah, La Villa Stranigo. Um, copy and paste what you said. It's a it's a dang good song. One of their better uh, instrumental songs. I love it. Number ten for me. 1981's Moving Pictures. Tom Sawyer. And I will retweet whatever you said. Um, I think it belongs in the top ten, but I don't think it's the best song. Yeah, I agree. All right, number nine, Working Man. Working Man, good. I love this song, especially that live version, as we said, live in Cleveland. Um, it's just, it's it's a good song. This was the song that really kicked them off, especially in Cleveland. This was the first song that really broke through on the radio for them, and Cleveland was that town because Cleveland is a working-class town, and the song's about a working man. So it doesn't Gotta get be any better than that. Man. All right, number nine for me off of the 1977 record, a Farewell to Kings. Closer to the heart. Oh, yes. Um, Closer to the heart is, in my opinion, the most approachable out of any Rush song. Um, even even more than the ones coming up here. I think it's the most approachable Rush song out there. Um, and you know, nothing will get you hyped more than that part whenever it goes dent 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 whoa, <laughs> and then Gay does like that whoa. And then it goes right to the guitar solo, and you're just like, yes, come on, more of this, please. <laughs> yes. It's so good. I think it's the best song on that. Well, no, sorry, second best song on that record. But, man, ah, oh, it's so good. All right, number... It was also featured in um, um my Trailer Park Boys. Remember whenever yes. Alex teaches Bubbles how to play the song? <laughs> he does. Yes. All right, number eight. Uh, from Signals, Subdivisions. Oh, Okay. I love the song. Again, there's a live version of the song that you can find of of just Neil playing it. It is it is an ode to drumming. This song is so perfect because it starts out in seven eight, then, then back to four four, then back to seven, then back to four, then back to seven. It goes on at 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 infinitum. Um, it is the most. I, I think it's one of Neil's best performances on drums in that era. Um, the the patterns that he's using off the right and the in the hi hat and the snare and the the fills the fills that leave you in, in hanging on of a cliff towards the end of the song there's a fill that he plays where you think he's gonna go somewhere but he stops and there's a perfect um the perfect rudiments that he plays uh, in the intro it's it's beautiful it is, this song doesn't get any better this is this is a live Rush song uh, when you go to see Rush live you want to hear this song as long as well as another one coming up as well. But what do you think? I agree. I got to talk about it because it's coming from okay. my list. So. Okay. All right, number seven for me. Number eight. I'm number eight. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. Are you sure? Well, that's why I, ha- I have subdivisions number eight. One, two. Oh, sorry. One, two, three, four, five, six. I have six more left. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I can't count. Did you have 52 on there? You know what? Actually, I did. 
because there was a song that I couldn't decide. We got to pick, all right? <laughs> you're you're going to understand why. Once I get through my list, you're, you'll understand why. All right, number six for me off the two – off the 19- number, se- number seven. No, I only have six songs left, Joe. Oh, okay. Number seven for me. All right, sorry, number six for me. Off of the 1976 record 2112, a song by the same name 2112, ladies and gentlemen – the song that saved Rush. Yes. The song that kept Rush alive. The song that was the big middle finger to the record companies and to mainstream radio and to rock presses everywhere that said, we are not going to conform to whatever pop rock you want us to make. We're not going to make whatever mainstream you want us to make. We're going to make what we want to make. Those of you who don't know, up to that point, after Crest of Steel's commercial colossal failure, the record company said, listen, we want you to write a a, a, a radio-friendly pop rock record that, like, the likes of, like, Kiss or, like, Aerosmith was writing at that time. And they went, no. No, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a song or an album where the entire first side of the LP is one song. That's 2112. It's the deal song. With it. Deal with it. Yeah. Put it out. Deal with it. This is what we're doing. And if we... Lose our jobs because it's fine, but but we will lose our jobs and we will lose our career doing what we love rather than rather than 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 a caving to the plight of a record deal, a record company. Well, and because Twenty One Twelve was such a success, that gave them the creative Freedom license to do whatever and protection the heck they want. to do what they wanted to delve into the eighties with the synths and everything. That gave them that protection, and the fans stuck around <laughs> yep. for that. And it was because of Twenty One. Twenty One Twelve is a is the is this their best long song it's the best of their sonnets suites um that you can find um it's about it's seven pieces it is it's a, it's a seven piece song over the course of 21 minutes thereabouts and it tells the story of a dystopian future where it is led by an um technocratic state um that basically bans art bans individuality mm, that bans, sounds familiar yeah <laughs> yeah um and um it's thwarted by a man who who discovers a a guitar from the race of humans before called the elder race and tells a story about how he is um confronted with what can the strange device be can the strange device be um confronted with the ideas of 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 individuality and art and how (coughs) and how those are things that are that are worth living for and worth dying for and um, you know, I will say the live. I'll say that there's not really a live version that I particularly like because they never they never really played the full thing in its entirety. Well, like they break it up into parts. They break it into parts. So I will say, if you want to listen to Twenty One Twelve, and I will say that it is a chore. Like your first time listening to it, and you're probably not going to like it first time listening to it. But if you're like, hey, Jacob, I'm a music nerd. I want to get to the challenge. Go onto YouTube. There is on Rush's Vivo account on YouTube. There is a comic book that was released for 2112 that tells the story in graphic novel form. Watch that because it has like images that go along with the music that make more sense. And I think this is the pinnacle of storytelling and music in one is right here. It is not getting much better than this. Okay. So I have a, I have a, um, I have something I need to confess. And it, a whoopsie? Oh, not a whoopsie, but it's an intentional because I couldn't decide going forward, and mm-hmm. I, I have more than fifty songs. Yeah, uh huh. You kind of get like like fifty eight on there or something. Um, it's not that many. So number seven, I couldn't decide where I wanted to put Xanadu because once I got to the top ten, I'm like, oh crap! 
all these songs are top 10 songs, but where do I put Xanadu? Because Xanadu is one of my favorite Rush songs because, again, it's a long song. It's an instrumental. It's perfect. It's not an instrumental. I'm sorry. It, well, it almost is. Um, but it's a, it's a perfect long song. So at number seven, I have YYZ and Xanadu. Unacceptable. <laughs> I know I can't do that, but, I mean, come on. Where, where am I supposed to put this song? Unfreaking believable. We can just get over it. Whatever. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, retweet, besides, besides, apologize. Uh, retweet what you said about YYZ and Xanadu is perfect. And if you want a, a, the best live version, um, I think it's 1980 Air Canada. If you put that in, uh, it will take you to uh, another world, which you should do. And this is my advice to you. Like I said, plug in your headphones to your phone, lay on your bed, and watch it, and you will be taken to another dimension. This song always transports me to a happier time and a happier place. Um, because I dined on Honeydew and drank the milk of paradise. Anyway. And also um, apologize for screwing your list up. Oh, you know what? You can just get over it. <laughs> Number five. From the 1981 record, Moving Pictures, Red Bacchetta. I love this song so much. It's so freaking good. Red Barchetta, come on. Gosh, this is Rush at its best. It is it, it is that it's the best look. It's the best sound that they had of that 80s era right here in Red Barchetta and it is a song that is lyrically so Rush. It is hard to find a song that is more rush in its lyrical content of the idea of like this dystopian future where, you know, the joy of automobiles and the joy of traveling and and moving around in not in a um, economical or a in a like utilitarian utilitarian. Yes, way, but in a joyful way. And that's what the whole song is about, like, the thrill of the road, the thrill well, of a car, the thrill of getting out and seeing the world. Well, that song was taken from or was inspired by a short story that was written by, I can't remember the author, but it was basically in a future where cars were outlawed. Yes. And Neil took that and they crafted it into Red Barchetta, which is a – which is a um, is it a Ferrari? It's a – so a Red Barchetta actually isn't a car, I don't think, but it's, it's supposed not. to be a, it's supposed to be a Ferrari. It's supposed to be like a Ferrari that he that uh, he finds in his uncle's garage from a t- from a bygone era, and he revs that thing up, and he goes for a joyride, that, which you're not supposed to do, and, he, nope. and he's being, being chased by uh, – The authorities. The authorities, and it takes you through that journey. It's just – it's 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 it is it is the it is a Rush song. Yeah. It's that good. Um, number six. And I would recommend the Exit Stage Left from 1981 live version of that. That is the superior version. Listen to that one before listening to the studio version. Uh, number six for me, <laughs> Red Barchetta. There you go, Red Barchetta. My favorite live version, and that's all I'm going to say about it, is the from Cleveland in 2011. Okay. I love that version. Number four for me off of the 1982 record signals, Subdivisions. Yes. Um, this is actually one of the first Rush guitar solos I ever learned. It's probably one of the easier ones. Um, but nothing is more addicting than that intro synth line, the boom, 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 boom. Um, yeah, it is a, um, is the, it is the, what can I say about the marriage of synthesizers or the, sorry, the tasteful use of synths on that song 
where clearly it is a synthesizer-driven song, but I think it's different than maybe the Power Windows records or maybe some of the Grace Under Pressure records where they're so saturated. It's just just tasteful enough, but it's still like, yes, the band is moving in more of a pop, more of a synth-pop direction, but it's still heavy. It still has like this this grit to it. Well, because the lyrical content yes is is dealing with very difficult topics for especially for teenagers in this er- in this period of time. It's about being an outcast. It's about being yeah. not being accepted by popular culture and, and learning to deal with it. it. Has this very somber kind of melancholy yeah. feel to it. Um, but yeah, that's that's number four for me. Number three, Joe. Uh, number five for Sheesh. me, closer to the heart. Copy and paste what she said. I love that. Go song. on and do go go and do number four. That way we're all, we're all caught. Uh, number four, twenty one twelve. Okay. Go ahead and do go and do something. Go and do anything you want to add to that. Go ahead and do. Um, I love this song because it is the biggest middle finger to record companies. Yep. And that's why I love it. Uh, uh, along with all the things that you said as well. All right, number three, 1977's Farewell to Kings record. The song is Zan Do. Whatever Joe said, um, I will say that the exit stage left version is pretty freaking good. I know that for R40, they played it with the double necked. Um, See, Rickenbackers. This is why this is why I love this version of this song in 1980. It's because both Getty and Alex have double necked guitars. Yes. Um, How they, much more of a nerd do you need to be to see that than to see two guys playing double neck guitars and then to see Neil wearing a little bow tie while he's playing drums? Yeah. No. This song is is that good. That's how he got the name the, the professor. Um. I the the intro riff is good. The outro guitar solo is is amazing. And after the song ends, it goes to the little little bells, and then just the big. I always loved in this song the big synth hit in the beginning. The it kind of like reverbs and echoes, and then everything else is kind of swirling into yeah. this intro. And then Neil comes, not sorry, Alex comes in with this the, with the with the riff, and it just keeps building and building to this epic. Because the intro of the song, Alex is playing those volume swells. Yes, which he, uh, which not he, it's, which is very influential of the um, from the band Yes and Neil back in the day when he had the chimes, is playing the chimes. Yes, the big, the, the big, big chimes, chimes behind his drum set, and he's got the the uh, the chime, the um, the wind chimes going as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's, it's a very it's, atmospheric. It's a kind of a trippy song a little yeah. bit. But um, then, Al, then the then the, the main in, uh, guitar riff hits, and it builds and builds and builds, and then Neil comes in with the drums, and it's yeah. just. All right, number three for you. Number three, uh, from um, from Permanent Waves, Free Will. Free Will. Okay. Each of us. Yeah, I love so, that song. Oh, I love that song. So I think by process of elimination, I go ahead and I guess assume what number two and number one is. So I'm going to go ahead and just say what number two and number one is. Okay. And we can talk about them both. Okay. Number two, 1981, Moving Pictures, Limelight. Yes. Um, You know, this, I think, is the most perfect lyrical song they ever did. It is the most perfect song ever written. I I think, you, I think, I think you'd be in, – in the world of music and in the world of rock – this is the most overlooked song. And I think that if I had to give somebody like one or two songs to listen to Rush, I think Limelight is definitely on there. The intro yeah. riff, the guitar solo, the lyrics. Neil's drums. The, every... the shifting time, but it doesn't feel like it's shifting time. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's written as 4-4, four, four, then 3-4. But you could also just count it as 7. 
So they they found a way to use those polyrhythms in odd time signatures to make it feel like it's a normal rock song. <clears throat> but my favorite version is 1981 live in Montreal, 60 frames per second. That's my favorite version of that song. That's a good one. All right, number one off of the 1980 record Permanent Waves, we have the Spirit of, of Radio. Radio. The Spirit of Radio, more like the Spirit of Bankruptcy. <laughs> Google, bring that thing up from the basement. The Spirit of Radio, I will always go to the grave saying, is the greatest rock song ever written. Stairway to Heaven, Can Kiss My Butt. Yep. Um, you, you know, Comfortably Numb. All of these songs pale in comparison to the Spirit of Radio, and I will forever say that. Um, I just, I, I can't go on and on more about that. the intro riff, to the weird time signatures, to the... To the instrumental break, which like didn't have to be there, but it, but it but was. They, but they did it. Um, and you know, the the fact when when they yell concert hall, they have the giant crowd intro, and then it dies back down again, and then the guitar solo at the end, and just the very just infectious guitar riff that just draws you in. And at the and at the end, you just feel like you're just gonna like you just you just can't help but like put your fist in the air and just be like, yes. Yes, we like it's just such a hype song. Well, and the way that Getty gets the crowd um, uh, into the song as well with the hand motions. Yeah, that's awesome. If you want to know what I'm talking about, what we're talking about, uh, go watch the uh, 2011 Live in Cleveland version. They open the concert with that song because they have a video that they play with it. And as soon as Alex starts playing that intro, everyone goes frigging crazy. It's the best. No, but my favorite version of that song is when we saw them in 2015. Yeah, that was that was my favorite version of that song because it's, it's 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 it is a quintessential rock progressive song. The 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 different uh, breaks in the song in the middle, the reggae part, it's supposed to seem like you're flipping the dial on the radio. Yep. And then the message of the song is, um, uh, you know, mach- modern machine you're making music. Is that how it goes? Um. All this machinery making, making modern, modern music, music can still it be open open hearted, right? And then all the uh, endless prizes and and compromises shadow the illusion of integrity. Um, I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, come on. It, if that isn't the pop music scene, I don't know what is. Yeah. If 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 that isn't the corporate pop music scene in in a nutshell, where um where everything is manufactured and. The uh, glittering prizes and compromises. compromises go for, and, you know, obviously the the uh, music and fame that comes along with with, with the music industry, um, but also the compromises to quality, compromises to your integrity as a, as an, as an artist, mm-hmm. um, shatters the illusion of integrity. Um, you know, these is there is there honestly a pop star out there now that you can look at and be like, yeah, that person is an integral person. Who, um, who I feel like I can relate to, or I feel that that speaks to me on some level, um, because like you know, people will say, "Oh, what about Jacob?" You know, like like so, like so, um, you know, like um, like um, there's artists like um Taylor Swift who write her own stuff, and I, and I said, "Yeah, Taylor Swift does write a lot, a lot of her own stuff," but you know, she has like seven other people that have a hand in writing all of her own music. Um, you know, I have multiple rush records i think there's only three people that are credited to mm-hmm. writing those songs and that just happens to coincide with the amount of people that are in the band so the fact that you have modern music which is made mostly by by machines now um you know it it draws 
it draws away from the integrity. And, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, I will go to the grave. Rut, Spirit of Radio is the greatest greatest rock song I've ever written. Argument for greatest song I've ever written. I, I don't care. Look, I have Sgt. Pepper's on my wall. And I love Sgt. Pepper's. I love Abbey Road. Those are some great songs. But I would rather listen to Spirit of Radio. I think it's a better song than what the Beatles have done. And that's no no shame on the Beatles like that that's just showing how much how great that rush was and how great the song was yeah if we can go back for a second to back to number two um if, I think every most people know that Neil was kind of a an introverted guy and he didn't like to mix with fans because he just felt awkward with the whole situation but when he wrote the lyrics that I can't pretend a stranger's a long-awaited friend you know how many people came up to him celebrities athletes other musicians that said you know what I get it. I get what you said. I can't pretend that a perfect stranger is a long-awaited friend. Because whenever celebrities, athletes, musicians are met with fans, the fans know all about them. Their life, their background, their influences. They know everything about them. But yet you don't know anything about the person that you're meeting. And you just like to, it's, it's a good song, and it's, it, it kind of gave people the license to take a step back and not feel the pressure of having to be around people that you don't want to be around when you're famous. And so that there and I don't think a lot of people told him told him that when he was alive, but a lot of people are like okay, it's it's okay to not want to be around people all the time, you know. Yeah. I I just think that those two are the best and I will always recommend those two to people when they first listen to it. Um, you know, as we live in a society, as we you know, like we're living to, in a society. Not to not to go too much into what we normally talk about in this program, but you know, as we we do live in a society that, you know, I may sound like a boomer here, but you know, we praise and worship vapid, talentless crap out there, um, and you know, the spirit of radio t- touches on that perfectly and is a perfect encapsulation of that. Um, the fact that you know people sell out for money and for fame, and some people never, never, you know, didn't sell out. They were always sold out. Um, and how we, you know, a lot of music today is stupid. Like it's just, it's just stupid. Um, and yeah, you go- that's just not <laughs> to say people. I know people like to say, oh, you know, some music, music's vulgar or music's, you know, edgy. I don't think music has to be, you know, conservative and clean all the time. Like you know, there's some, there's, there's some edgy. Um, points in some of in some of Rush's songs as well, um, not not so vulgar. They never swore any other songs, but you know I don't think that music and art has to be necessarily crystal clean and pristine all the time. But you know you're coming to a point where it's like okay you're 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 vulgar in your lyrics and you're obscene in your lyrics. Okay, but the song sucks. Yeah, you know the, the mm-hmm. song is objectively bad, and there's nothing here. And the only reason why people talk about it is because you're obscene and you're vulgar in your lyrics. Um, there's, there's, there's nothing there. It's a stupid – everything is stupid now. Everything is ugly. Everything is stupid. Um, it, for, for a vast majority – and I know there's some there's – some, the, the issue is that there are good artists out there. There are good bands out there. But they get drowned out by the crap that gets pushed out there. Um, and – like for instance, like uh, Addison Ray and Little Nas X, um, it's garbage. You, yeah. you can't, you cannot justify. It. You cannot. Uh, there is no other way around it. It is garbage. Well, and you, you know, people like to say, "Oh, Jacob, but it's just catchy." I, I, I like the beat. I said, I said, "What does that even mean?" Yeah. What, what does what does that mean? And are we, 
you know, that's like, okay, for, for me, whenever you say, I like a trap song because, because of the beat, that's like saying, I, I, that painting is nice because, because it has the color blue in it. I like the colors. I like, you know, J- Jacob, why do you like that painting? Well, the artist has a nice color blue in it, so that's why I like it. Um, you know, by saying something's catchy or, um, or, or, or liking a song basically, based upon its catchiness really sh- goes to show that there's nothing else for you to like. If, if the well, only, I mean, if the only point of you liking a song is the catchiness of it, then, um, then, the, 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 by definition, it's not well, a good piece you know of what, art. You know what it is? You're a slave to the corporate, to the corporate mold because corporations mu- or music labels, um, they write these songs with the intention for them to go viral on TikTok. So yeah. it's only by coincidence that they have the catchiest hook and the most grooviest beats that possible to it because they know that little brain-dead zombies, lemmings like you, will say, Oh, I like the beat, and I saw so-and-so dance to it on TikTok. I'm sorry, but you're a slave to the machine. You know, you're you're, 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 you're listening to music that was so carefully orchestrating and, and crafted by corporate executives and the the same five writers that write all the popular songs these days. That's what it is. So it's okay. You want to talk about how you're so, you know, well, I'm anti-corporation. I'm, I'm a free spirit of f- person. But yet you turn on like the trap beats and stuff. Like, come on, give me a break. Like, come on. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. I, I just think that there's there. Um. I hope you guys enjoyed the, the list. And I really think that hopefully this might be an opportunity for people to um, get out there and listen to some real music. And, you know, I like to always joke about how I have the best taste in music ever. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that Rush is the, the end-all, be-all of music. I don't think it is. I think it's the pinnacle. Um, I think that if you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a band that is a, that is a better catalog, um, even, even some of the albums and even some of the, most, the more controversial parts of their catalog, um, some people don't like. I understand. But, you know, some people hate the Power Windows record or the Grace Under Pressure record. You know, I was thinking about that today. And I was thinking, what else was popular when this was out? And a lot of it's like Whitney Houston and George Michael and Wham! and stuff like that. And it's like, it is Power Windows, Grace Under Pressure, Hold Your Fire is objectively better than all of that. Well, not even that, but like the fact that Rush could make something that's completely foreign and alien to anything else that they had even dreamed about writing. And it still be good and it still be a genuine part of the catalog and a worthy addition. Um, is to say something because not every band can transition. I know that there's a lot, especially this is happening right now in a lot of the metal community where bands are trying to, you know, incorporate more pop elements and fans are just not having it. And there's, there's not, there isn't. Well, it's like the whole gent thing became so oversaturated. Yeah. Everything just, everything became oversaturated. And I think that, um, you know, they, they, they tried to see what was popular and, you know, in, in, in the eighties, everyone used synths. Because it was just this, this, it was it was it was an emerging technology that really nobody had harnessed and perfected yet at that time, um, in the late seventies, early early eighties. Um, synthesizers were you know it was the it was the language of the nineteen eighties music and everyone had synthesizers. So for, so so for some folks to say that that rush sold out would almost be kind of like you know um, a band that went. A band um, that came after the Beatles were, were, were crazy or, or, or popular and had a very similar lineup of you know 
two two guitars, bass, and drums. Oh, 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 you're selling out to the Beatles sound. It's like, eh. Mm, not so much. You, know, you have to understand what was going on at that time. And if Rush were to continue to make a Hemispheres every single year, they wouldn't have had the staying power. They wouldn't have had the, the, the sonic evolution that they had. And yeah. that, I think, is this to showcase the 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 striving for for continuing to advance as artists and always searching for the next biggest thing and sometimes it didn't work out yeah you know you listen to a song like Ty Shay and you're like what were you thinking what was this what was this um but I, maybe this might be the opportunity if you listen to this whole two hours of us um comment talking about um a single band um, then maybe maybe some folks will get out and listen to some real music. And look, you don't have to like Rush. Rush is a very niche band. I get it, but I think it's that, about as niche as Yes or but Jeff But I think Rotol. that people who objectively like music can, I, I, as I said, I will always say this about Rush. Um, you cannot like their, you cannot particularly enjoy their music, but to deny their greatness and their impact on music is pure ignorance. Yeah. Um, you can say, hey, you know. Getty's vocals not for me. Not the long songs not really for me. Um, I just doesn't 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 jive with me. Fine, but are they a fantastic, important band in the history of rock forever? Yes. So um, to not like them is fine, but to deny their greatness is, is ignorance. Um, so if you're wondering, my favorite drum solo of Neil's is um, first when we saw in um, when we saw them in live in 2015. I love that. I don't know if you can find that one anywhere. Pretty sure you can. Um, been a fun game to play. I'll always love playing this game. For people that have never heard Rush, I will play Spirit of Radio, and then I'll ask them, how many members do you think are in this band? And they're yeah. like, I don't know, five, six, like three. <laughs> and they're like, three guys. what? What, three guys made that sound? Like, and yeah. they play that same sound live, and they play Night the, after night. They play, well, they used to. Oh, yeah. They um, but play the keyboard and string parts on the floors they have they make foot keyboards and he'd be up getty be up there playing bass while like playing the chords well, on the to put it to put it simply everything that you heard from the stage was coming from one of the three of them yeah um all, very all very few times did they use tracks mainly because it was just not it's just not physically it's possible. not physically possible at that time to do tracks but both getty had keyboards he had foot pedals he had his bass vocals alex had his guitar vocals and foot pedals neil had his drums and all sorts of pedals and triggers and electric xylophones and electric drums it's a whole mess of instruments but they made it sound so beautiful yeah so maybe this might be the opportunity for some people to wake up as you know um i feel that part of the part of this podcast has turned more from has, has more from liberty content which is always the prime focus, but also just getting people to wake the crap up to what's going on in society. Um, I, I have been challenged by the likes of like Joey B. Toons mm. has just been trying to wake people up on the society in general, which is why I've, I rail on social media, I rail about big tech. I rail about just garbage and Well, before crap. Joey B., there was me. I, 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 I just rant about just that kind of stuff like that. So, you know, if you're out there, and you just don't like the direction of popular music or well, rock to, music. To quote Roger Waters, is there anyone out there? Is there anyone out there? Um, just be rest assured that there are good bands out there. There are good, talented people out there. I'm talking about Rush in particular. Um, I'm not. Look, you don't have to listen to Rush and the Beatles and Elvis Presley and you know um, Led Zeppelin for me to be like, oh well, you got a good taste in music because you know those aren't the end all be all. I, th- I think those are just shining examples of what to shoot for. 
Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's good stuff out there. And I think that, you know, <laughs> I've always said that, um, I think I posted on Twitter many, many years ago, or not years ago, but many months ago. Um, but it was, um, it was Xanadu live. And I said, um, kids, kids don't know this song and it shows yeah. kids these days don't know Xanadu and it shows, um, I think I also did that with um was when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin. It's like it's like, it's like, it's like kids have no idea what, what who this song is, and it shows. Um, but I think maybe this might be an opportunity for some people to wake up. And if you are a Rush fan out there, please let us know how wrong we were, or how right, or we how were. right we were yeah. on our list of top fifty Rush songs, guys. This is a special episode for all the oh, Patreons out we there. Go, which the next one should we do? Like a Dream Theater one, because that's the band Dude, that you and I, I don't both know. To. I don't know. If I, like Rush is the one band that I feel qualified enough to to give a top fifty list. I need to do like a top ten list on Dream Theater or Dream Theater or like the Beatles or like Bowie. Um, I think that Bowie would be the next one I could, could probably do, do, but. You know, um, I am still working through Bowie's catalog slowly because yeah. it is a Bowie has a massive catalog and a very much like Rush, where he was able to evolve with the times, and really no two Bowie records sound the same way. And um, but with Bowie too, it was like it was the next logical step to take. Yeah, but Bowie didn't sound forced or awkward. No, Bowie maybe besides like the Let's Dance record, which is a clear adoption of of what modern pop that, was doing in nineteen eighty four. It sticks out, and some people say he sold out then. But like, if that's Bowie selling out, give me more, please, because yeah. like that was a good record. It's, one of, it's probably top top five um, of his records. But you know, Bowie was was great, and I, you know, it's just I have a hard time talking about Bowie like I do sometimes Rush, because like it's just it's hard to talk about them whenever they're not whenever they're gone, and like the fact that they're not they haven't been gone that long, um, it still kind of resonates. Like I have a hard time listening to some of Bowie's last record, and like. Especially Limelight sometimes. I have a hard time listening to that song. I can't listen to The Garden. Yeah, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. And it's not like, you know, some people like, oh, well, you listen to The Beatles all the time. Yeah, but like, John and, and George have been gone for a long, long time. Like, it's not like a fresh thing. Or like, you know, like, you know, Prince hasn't been gone that long. When I listen to Prince, sometimes it's hard to listen to Prince. Because, um, you know, I do love a lot of what Prince did as well. The only other band that I think that we could do would be Yes, but you are not as versed in the catalog as I am. Yes, I know like four or five Yes songs. I know Starship Troopers, um, Close to the Heart, or Cl- Close to the Edge, Roundabout, um, and yeah, that's about it. Ah, so, so you don't know the we'll Siberian Katru and. Yeah, we'll have to see the, uh, about that. But guys, this has been a day. special episode for Patreon people first. So this is going to go out on Sunday evening. I'm uh, probably going to release this on Thursday for everybody else. Thursday or even by maybe, maybe just like next week. Just like schedule it for next week. To give it give it, give it time for the for the folks on Patreon. Okay. Too. This has been okay. like a two-hour podcast. So this is all about Rush. If you um, were like, hey, I want to hear you, you know, rant about Dr. Fauci more. Well, don't 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 you worry. We're <laughs> going to be tur- back here. Don't touch that dial. Don't touch that dial, folks. We're back here on Monday with another episode of the Standing Brothers Show. Um, where I'm talking about all kinds of stuff, you know, a little hint for that, um, you know, big trucker, um, you know, a caravan in Canada. Vi- we got know, ourselves a convoy. Convoy, um, you know, ru- you know, so the um, um, so Ukrainian president and Biden had a talk, and oh boy, it didn't go well. And um, everyone's favorite liberal, Bill Maher, finally went woke on the virus. So you know, we're 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 finally um, we're finally gonna get to that point. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this. This is especially direct, directed to our Patreon supporters, which we thank you guys so much for that. 
Um, that's why we're releasing this early for you guys. Um, this is not going to be every single episode, but something kind of cool and unique for that. Um, I'm going to link my Spotify playlist that I referenced from, and then you guys can check that out if you want to listen along with. Which you, you, you honestly might be able to listen along to most of this um to, to most of the songs with the podcast if you want to like stop and like listen to a little bit of it so we're talking about um but yeah joe anything before we we wrap it up for the, the for the peoples um if you have any suggestions of if you want us to like review an album that you like um it doesn't have to be progressive rock it could be anything uh send it our way we'll we'll look at it we'll make we'll make a special episode out of it so we'll see we'll think about it and it, it could be uh you could do it for you could do it because you hate us if you want us to if it's a really cringy album like a country album or something that's fine too or uh, i i i don't know if i could make it through a country <laughs> album we'll see anyway all right that's it all right guys thank you so much have a great rest of your weekend and a great week coming up peace Roger, Clint, Clint, Willis, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot.